This is it right here. Combining a team of reporters, columnists, and commentators. Don't you ever talk about me! Are you serious? Jack Ebling has brought thought-provoking discussion. What are you doing? That's a damn coaching mistake. Opinion. The customer is the one who decides when the future gets here. Oh, no! The ship is on fire! You have to check the report. Are you kidding me? That game was fixed. And overall infotainment. I'll take Jim Harbaugh. What has he done? Crazy cooter coming at you. <laughs> Quiet, please. In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Thanks, big fella. Don't you ever come back here again. No arguments. Those are called ass tunes. So buckle up. You talking to me? Whoa! It's time for The Drive with Jack Ebling. Yeah, for some reason or another... You sound a little taller on radio. Great afternoon, Mid-Michigan and beyond, and welcome to The Drive with Jack, the Spotlight Radio Network, another absolutely gorgeous. Pure Michigan, Wednesday afternoon, 67 degrees and sunny. And catch this, the next two days, Thursday and Friday, 72 degrees and then 66 and 67 uh, on the weekend, and only one of those days, Saturday afternoon, uh, a chance, 40% chance of rain. So thank you very much, uh, Weather Gods. We'll take all we can get. All of our Wednesday shows are brought to you by Graf Avokimus, Graf Chevrolet, and Graf Nissan, side-by-side on West Grand River, 108 years in the automobile business, Stop and see Matt, Mark, and Greg on West Grand River, and they will take great care of you, as they have on all eight of my leases and purchases. Big show planned for you today. The plan is to talk with Stephen Brooks, 24-7 Sports Spartan Tailgate premium site, and I think producer Boston Rob is getting him on the line. We got him ready. You got him. Yeah, we got him ready. Notification to be 100% sure Brooks was here. He's in demand. He is. A lot of people want his time and services. A lot of things to Very, talk about, including a absolutely. basketball game last night. So let's get to it. And we're not going to waste any time on the World Series. We're going to talk about Michigan State football and basketball primarily. We'll get to the basketball in just a minute, what we saw last night at Breslin Center. But I want to start with Spartan football. What we saw Saturday night in Ann Arbor, what we didn't see Saturday night in Ann Arbor, and what the impact of that game and post game is for the rest of the season. Stephen, how are you? I'm doing all right, Jack. How are you? Uh, better than some, not as good as uh, Daniel Snyder. Um, wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the Michigan State football team on the field against Michigan. And you were a little more optimistic than most. I said, man, I just don't see any way that this team, even coming off the performance against Wisconsin, uh, can match up with Michigan. And actually did a little better than I thought in the first quarter. Outrushed Michigan, outpassed Michigan, uh, at a 7-3 lead. And two critical fourth down stops or failures on Michigan State's part, take your pick, uh, made it impossible for Michigan State to come back. Those were their opportunities. Uh, another possession looked like it was a very promising drive, uh, ruined by an unsportsmanlike conduct call. We might get to that a little bit later. Uh, 
And uh, then the second half was all Michigan. Stephen, do you know uh, how much time Michigan State had the ball in the second half of that game? Uh, Ten minutes? Six minutes and 55 seconds. Wow. Michigan Ooh. had the ball 23 minutes and five seconds in the second half. So uh, Michigan State had uh, no chance. Michigan had the ball nearly 80% of the time in the second half, uh, really controlling play. And then at the end, uh, it had scored two touchdowns, uh, one off a botched punt snap where it inherited the ball uh, in the red zone. And uh, the other five scores Michigan had were Jake Moody field goals and Anytime you get inside uh, the 35-yard line, that's almost an automatic for the Lou Groza Award winner. But Michigan wasn't happy with 29-7 to and uh, was throwing reverse passes in the last couple of minutes. I know that didn't sit well with some people. But as you looked at the game, did Michigan State really have a chance to win? It was down 13-7 at the half and could have been in the lead. Yeah, absolutely it did. I mean, that that first half and parts of that game, I mean, I think there were parts of that game where they, their run game was as healthy as it's looked all year. I mean, very, very early they were blowing open some holes. The runners were running hard. And I was like, whoa, you know, who is this team? Um, no, that yeah. obviously did not last. Uh, and, you know, and the way they came out in that third quarter and just, you know, got, uh, you know, just tie, you know hogtied by Michigan State's uh, – or, I'm sorry, by Michigan's adjustments. They had no counterpunch, you know. Uh, that that was a troubling thing. It, this was the epitome of, of really what this team has been all year in terms of they have not even come close to putting a full 60 minutes together. That first half was winning football. That's exactly what you want. You got an early turnover. I mean, on paper, if I just scripted that out to you, everybody in the, everybody on Michigan State side in the world would have taken that. You know, if, if I told you, hey, you're going to have an early turnover, uh, you're going to hold them to yeah. field goals the way they did. You know, you're going to be able to run the ball and, and outrush them a little bit early, like he's mentioned. And and I'll give you, you know, a deep ball or two to Keon Coleman here. How about that if I throw that in? Everybody would take that. And, and, and yeah, other than those short conversions, which, you know, it's, it's, I'm not overlooking that. That's a big uh, major turning point in that half. Mm-hmm. But um, other than, you know, if, if those go the right way, then, yeah, they're leading at halftime, and then it's about, you know, finishing it in the second half. And, Obviously, what we ended up seeing in the second half, you know, doesn't give you a lot of confidence. But, like I said, I think that was a winning performance in the first half. You did a lot of the things that you needed to do as an underdog to stay in that game, like force the field goals, like the early turnover. Um, But some of the execution and those real, real pivot, you know, real tight pivot points, um, you know, left something to be desired, obviously. Yeah. uh, We mentioned the second half time of possession advantage, uh, 23.05 to 6. 55 but i think in the first half there were some critical moments michigan state uh got the ball first after michigan won the toss and deferred and michigan state got a couple of first downs was in michigan territory when uh jared horst was again called for unsportsmanlike conduct uh that backed them up put them behind the chains and they had to had to punt the ball it wasn't a great day punting either for bryce Beringer, uh certainly one of his worst of the year He's a first-team All-America punter. He didn't look like it Saturday night. And then Michigan State got the ball back and uh, was driving and uh, had a third-down situation, and it looked like Elijah Collins had picked up the first down. You can watch the replay, and it seemed like it was a, 
a tough spot for Michigan State. Uh, the ball was moved back maybe a little further than it should have been. There was no measurement. And then on fourth down, they were given the first down when it clearly was not. And uh, they took time to review it. Mel Tucker couldn't see it. He was blocked, and he, he didn't like the call. But trust me, he was at least a half yard short of picking up the first down. So it was the right thing to do to reverse that and give Michigan possession. But then Michigan State came back in the second quarter and could have taken the lead 14-10, to 10, Stephen. But had that fourth and one, and, uh, you know, hey, you're at the five-yard line, close to it. Uh, it was fourth and, I think, a, a hair less than a full yard. And one of the worst play calls that you can imagine, why you are having a handoff five or six yards deep in the backfield in that situation, with the offensive line problems you have, you are cruising for a bruising. And that's exactly what Michigan State got when Michigan burst through and, and uh, stopped Jalen Berger for a loss. But uh, to me, that was an automatic pickup with the quarterback sneak. There was a gap there to the side of the center. And all Peyton Thorne had to do was take one jab step and go forward. And it's almost an automatic play now. The percentage of conversions for quarterback sneak, Stephen, has gone way up since the Bush push rule. Now you are allowed to have a running back who lines up three to five yards behind you push you forward you didn't used to be able to do that and uh, now even if you get a stalemate at the line of scrimmage just that impetus from behind almost always drives the quarterback forward and Peyton Thorne is pretty good at that anyway so I think they would have had first and goal at, at the four but they didn't and Michigan took over and came back and took the lead and then got another field goal but Michigan State's defense as we've seen all year including uh, twice at Washington uh, a couple other games we have seen, goal line stands. And forcing, in this case, maybe they weren't goal line stands and taking over the ball, but certainly forcing Michigan to kick field goals. Now, Michigan was very good on third down throughout this game. But enough times it was not able to convert on third down that Jake Moody had to kick five field goals. Michigan only punted the ball one time. So it's not like uh, Michigan State's defense uh, was getting three and outs and getting off the field, far from it. But they were not giving up sevens. They were giving up threes. And that kept them in the game, but the offense could do absolutely nothing in the second half. Correct, correct. I, I want to go back to the to the fourth down real quick. I, just, I stand by the decision. Um, I'm with you 100% on the play call. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Peyton Thorne yeah. talked about yesterday about, yeah, I could have sneaked in. He even had a bigger problem. He said, I'll have to go back and watch because, look, there's a, there's been a couple things that have happened that have prevent you know that have kept my focus away from the game itself that you might have heard. Um, yeah. So I haven't gone back and watched yet, but he what said did he mean by players, that? What, what he was said that? two plays before um, I think it was um, that he said he said he had Jaden Reed on a matchup that he really really liked, thought about it, and just said, "Nah, let's stick to the plan." You know, we have two more downs here to, to figure this out. Um, yeah. I don't know if it was a linebacker over there or, or a safety. He said yeah. it was somebody who's not a corner um, was was covering Jaden Reed in single coverage, and he well, he's he very self critical. There's no question about that. And some people have said that Peyton Thorne's uh, so critical of himself that he doesn't exude confidence the way a lot of quarterbacks do. A, qu- a lot of quarterbacks think that they never make a mistake, and uh, if there's an interception. It's the only one they'll ever throw. Uh, I think Peyton is a little more analytical than that, and if he makes a mistake or something doesn't go quite right, then that presents a challenge. 
Yeah, I mean, I think his IQ and his understanding of the game, you know, I mean, yeah. look, he has, his physical tools are what they are, and, yeah. and, you know, he's got limitations like everybody. Um, obviously not a perfect quarterback, but I think that is his – that's where his confidence comes through is because when he can break down, you know, whether it's him or whether it's his receiver or his protection or whoever, I think yeah. people trust that he's not just uh, putting it all on himself or he's not just always pointing the finger that he's seeing the right thing, even if maybe he right. or others don't have the ability to sort of – do the right thing necessarily, but he's seen, you know, I think people trust that, that what he's seen and, and his evaluations of things are, are usually pretty good. Um, but yeah, so going back to that, I did think, yeah, obviously the sneak is, is underutilized somehow by all coaches that make a ton of money. Um, they're right. It's right there for the taking. Uh, and, and, and not only, but I did like the decision. And as we saw later in the game, with yeah, the two bad yeah. snaps, like that folks was why you didn't try the field goal there. Right, um, right. Not only, let alone the fact that I think you had to take the touchdown, you know, to beat that yeah. team, to win that game. That's How many times are you going to get to their five yard right. line and uh, right. field goals aren't going to do it. I mean, you figured Michigan would put up close to 40, didn't quite get there, but uh, I was going to come back on one thing you said, and I've had this discussion with a number of beat writers over the past few weeks. Uh, Jim Comperoni and I went round and round on this after the Ohio State game. When Michigan State rushed for a grand total of seven yards, seven for the game, how many yards do you think Michigan State rushed for Saturday night? Against Michigan, I don't have it in front of me. Was it like 40-something, 30-something? 37. 37 yards. Now, mm-hmm. if you look at what Michigan rushed for, you want to say, well, that was the difference in the game, you could certainly make that case. And it's deceptive because of the 37 yards, the longest carry by a running back was eight, had one carry of eight yards and one carry of seven yards. But the reason Michigan State got into the 30s were Two carries, one was a reverse early in the game, at the very beginning, of 17 yards by Jaden Reed, and a scramble for 12 yards by Peyton Thorne. That is 29 of those 37 yards. Now, you can say, well, you know, there were a lot of sacks. There weren't a lot of sacks. There were a couple of sacks, and that's subtracted from rushing totals. And you have the bad punt snap, and that was about 20 yards. So, so maybe it balances out 37 yards is not going to get it done under any any stretch in a game like this. And when you look at what your opponent does, now Michigan didn't have to pass the ball uh, as well as Michigan State did to win. We knew that going in. Uh, Michigan uh, was able to rush for 276 yards. So 276 to 37. And how many times, Stephen, in this series – have we seen, I mean, it's almost every year. There are very few exceptions. The team that runs the ball better wins. And certainly, if you outrush your opponent by 239 yards, you can win the game. Yeah, yeah, no question. I mean, and that's, that's been around for a while. Uh, you know, and, it, and it, typically, it typically does hold up. Like I mentioned going into the game, though, I was like, if Michigan State's going to win, then they're going to have to break, you know, from – from tradition in terms of that, that stack. Cause I thought that, you know, it, it revealed itself early. Like the passing game was going to have to be their ticket. Um, you saw it going up top with, with Keon Coleman. And then once Michigan adjusted, Michigan state didn't have its own adjustment to the adjustment. You know, that's what, what was really troubling to see them come out of the locker room and have those, 
uh, have all you know have the the sit down at halftime and, and the re, you know you, you re break down your game plan and all that and, and reformulate some things and to come right out and get stymied right away I think was a really bad look you know for players and coaches alike. Yeah. Uh, I think it was three and outs throughout the third quarter. You know, three, three, three and outs. I want to say. I think they had like eight total yards. I don't have the the full breakdown in front of me anymore. Yeah. I accidentally closed out of my computer, but it was not good, you know. And then again, Michigan had changed up their coverage and, and shift, shaded more things toward Keon Coleman and took him away a little bit. So what's your right. counter there? I mean, we never saw the tight ends get going. I thought that no. could be a big factor. It wasn't really at all. The running game, you know, really petered off in the second half, especially once uh, Matt Carrick and whatnot was out was out of there. So, it's just uh, yeah, and then just to the to the play call, both of the third and shorts. I'm sorry, fourth and shorts. I mean, we've seen we on the outside, just you know, layman who watched, you know, let's say even you watch it a half dozen times. Well, these coaches that you're scheming against have seen it way more than that. Like they, the, the way that Michigan State keeps lining up in shotgun and trying to run inside zone, inside handoff type of stuff yeah, on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm blank and short, third and short, fourth and short. Like if if us on the outside, you know, the non-professional coaches can see it, you better believe that the that the coaches making six and seven figures across from you have seen it over and over again, and they keep lining up in shotgun and keep trying to hammer these these inside runs, and they're knowing that they don't have they're not built yeah. that way. They don't have the horses yeah. to do that stuff, and they keep they keep trying though, you know. And yeah. that one of the I can't quantify this, Stephen, but. But I, I wish I could, if I had the time or an intern who would go back through, Chase Michelson, where are you, uh, go back and uh, document every running play. I would guess that Michigan State has had more plays of three yards or less running plays than any team in the country because they've had a boatload of no gains, one yard, two yard uh you know, in three years now, under Mel Tucker, Stephen, we're gonna we're gonna throw last year out because you had the best running back in the country, a generational talent, maybe the best in school history, and a guy who led the nation in yards after contact. Remember that. So in twenty twenty, when Michigan State did not have a touchdown, rushing touchdown from a running back had one from a tight end and one from a quarterback, but zero from a running back. And this year, again, is the problem a woeful offensive line, uh, below average running backs, or poor scheme? Which is it? Uh, it's 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 offensive line first for me. Um, I mm-hmm. think you know. Look, they lost an NFL, they lost a draft pick in our Curie. A fringe NFL guy in Jarvis, and, and as you just mentioned, I mean, even even with those guys last year, I didn't think they were anything right. above average. You know, it just average at best. And so you obviously lost two of your better guys, and they just haven't uh, developed very well. You know, I don't think there's been much development, even though they are older guys, and they're just not a unit you can count on. They don't give you any um, consistency in terms of opening holes to to give you sort of a baseline rushing performance and. Like you you know, they've been above be average nationally, Stephen. You probably know this because you follow pro football focus. But for the three-year period, they've been considerably above average in pass protection. Yeah, that's the one thing that sort of kept them afloat a little bit. They do protect Peyton Thorne pretty well, um, and they have uh, for the most part. But, uh, but yeah, in the run game, I mean, it's just there's nothing there. There's nothing consistent. There's nothing that they can rely on. And so when you're trying to script out plays or an offense, it's, you don't have some of the normal normal gimmies that you could take. Like, all right, let's just take a breather here. Let's get three or four on first down and 
keep ourselves in these manageable distances and whatnot and sort of have that normal rhythm and hum to your offense. It's, it's really hard to do when you have a completely unreliable running game that's, that you don't know if you're going to, you know, are you going to block it for eight? Or are you going to block it for a loss of two? You know, uh, it's, it's a problem. So that that's number one to me play calling. I think it's been number two because I don't think Jay Johnson has done the best job of adjusting to not having Kenneth Walker. I think last year made everything easy, you know, and, and really you could just sort of click that easy button at times and, oh, there's number nine running down the sideline for a 50-yard touchdown. You know, I mean, he just made so many things happen. And every call looks like a good call with him. And every play-action pass is, is a great uh, decision, you know, when, when he's in the game. So right. a lot of things were, you know, his job was made easier too, much like the offensive lines. But uh, And then third, I would put the backs. I mean, I, I think those are some individually pretty talented guys. I don't think any of them are superstars. I don't think they're necessarily all-league type of guys. But, but they're good, competent I think Jalen Berger is a fine, you know, a solid starting running back at this level. I think Elijah Collins could start and could do the job and handle it, and yeah. you know, be about a thousand yardish type of guy. So I, yeah. I don't think the backs are awful uh, by any stretch. Jalen Berger uh, was was uh, he had some big numbers in the first two games, and to me, he's a guy who, if you give him room, uh, he can do some things. But if he doesn't have the room, he's not a make your make you miss guy. He's not a move the pile guy. He's not a fall forward guy. So if you don't have room for him to run, and when you do, he doesn't always hit the right hole. It's not like he has exceptional vision. So I'm not as sold on Jalen Berger as a difference maker running back uh, as as some people are. Uh, but I want to go back to a couple of other things before we move on from this game. At what point did you know that Michigan State was not going to win? Oh, definitely the uh, the trouble with the snap. I mean, when when Behringer yeah. takes tucks that and gets hit down there, and I was like, oh man, that's yeah, that's the end right there. It was definitely it was nineteen to seven at that point. Yeah, and I mean, so look, I mean, look, one or two more bombs to Keon Coleman, and you're back right. in business. You know, one or two more executed short yard. You know, it wasn't un, it wasn't completely right. unrealistic, even even as bad as they were. You know, sputtering coming out. Actually, of I think it was twenty two to seven at that point, but they were a couple of touchdowns behind when that happened and, and they were showing no indication that they could, they, they did get a drive at the end of the game. Another catch by Coleman uh, looked like he might go all the way and didn't. And uh, they got down close and then again, uh, interception, uh, poor throw. So uh, Michigan state was not going to score uh, more than 21 points in this game. And uh, the kicking game continues to be a problem. Uh, Stephen, there are a couple of, of signs to me of a poorly coached team. That doesn't mean you have a poor coaching staff. It means that uh, something isn't registering. Okay. One of them is special teams breakdowns. Now, in this case, you have an injured long snapper. Most teams don't recruit three of them. So that is a problem. But you've had place kicking issues all year. You've shuffled place kickers around. You used three different guys back there, so uh, that has not been solid. And the other thing, and it got Alabama beat. Alabama is not in the top four, five in the uh, college football playoff rankings for one reason. When it played Tennessee, it had 17 penalties. If it has half that many, it wins that game in Knoxville, and it's the number one team in the nation. So, uh, you know, it can happen to anybody. It can happen to a Nick Saban team. But Michigan State is continually its own worst enemy with silly 
penalties. And I'm not just talking about uh, pre-snap, false starts, because you have a new guard in the game. I'm talking about veteran players, and if it isn't uh, a roughing the passer penalty at an untimely moment, uh, it's something behind the play on offense which negates a good game and uh, guys who cannot maintain their focus and concentration long enough to do what they do. Mel always talks about six seconds. you got to play well for six seconds. Well, it's what you do after the six seconds in the next five seconds that can undo everything you do in six seconds. <laughs> yeah, and I thought, you know, my initial reaction was, was like, wow, you know, they're humming, you know, those first three or four plays, or really yeah. just the first two at least to, to Jaden Reed there, if I have that sequencing right. Um, I was like, okay. And then it was two new looks to that they, how they got the ball to Jaden. I was like, wow, okay, here's the bye week in, in action. They've, they've scripted up some good stuff here to start this game. It's not very conservative. I was like, okay. And then penalty, 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 penalty. I'm like, okay, well, this that was short-lived. At that moment, I thought, oh, yeah, this is going to get bad. This is this might be in that, you know, 49-7 type of range. Uh, so I give them credit for bouncing back. I mean, they, they really did show quite a bit of resilience there, despite a lot going wrong those first two drives. Uh, I'm sorry, that first drive, uh, and just early parts of the game. I mean, forcing the fumble, you know, sticking in it, uh, Xavier Henderson, you know, uh, that, that, that stymied. You know, they didn't allow any Michigan to really build up that momentum that would sort of engulf them. Um, they weren't doing much themselves, obviously, you know, when they had the ball. It was it was promising here and there, but you got to get more points than they did. But that was what was impressive to me is I thought that uh, once they had those early flags, I was like, oh, no, this is just going to be – this is going to get bad early, you know, and I thought they rebounded, like I said, the turnover, getting some stops, forcing the field goals, and really kept themselves in, never let Michigan get that early knockout blow, you know, that I'm sure they would have loved to have. All right, Stephen, after the game, I'm not sure what your vantage point was. Uh, I didn't I was, see anything. Okay, was I was with uh, the group that was heading down, and then uh, I got uh, knocked off course. And uh, I did not go into the interview room and then the uh, hallway where Matt Charbonneau shot that video and uh, Chris Solari became uh, a guest on NBC Nightly News. I came around the other way to the butt end of the tunnel, which, by the way, uh, had no security. I was able to walk right up in there. I could have gone all the way onto the field if I wanted to. But uh, I got up there, and all I saw were a bunch of bodies. And this was after the, the scrums, the altercations, the assaults, call it what you will. Uh, so I didn't see that. I just saw Michigan State players finally going into the locker room and then, and then the Michigan players, a lot, the majority of them, coming into the locker room. And I knew something had happened, but I didn't know what. Uh, as you have followed this, as you have watched videos, as you have heard interpretations of it, uh, Michigan being uh, very adamant about what happened and Michigan State uh, – saying, hey, we're cooperating fully with every investigation. It would be irresponsible for us to comment on this while this investigation is in progress, but did comment with the suspension of eight players, including three defensive starters and two other uh, rotational players. But, uh, again, that's, that's not uh, germane to the, to the question here. Uh, what was your take on what happened after the game? Yeah, I mean, it was... It was not good, obviously. You know, a really bad look for Michigan State once the video came out. I mean, I'm not – I think there's been a lot of pearl clutching and hand-wringing. I mean, it's uh, – you know, fortunately, everybody got out of it healthy and everything. I'm not saying there yeah. shouldn't be punishment. There absolutely should. There should yeah. be repercussions uh, that, you know, when when the helmet swinging is involved, that's another level than just 
you know, a post-game scrum, a little dust-up, uh, a little skirmish, you know, that's a, that's a different level. So uh, we'll see what the police and the legal system has to right. do, has to say about it all, and, and that'll obviously be its own thing. And then beyond that, I'll be curious to see if there's any other, you know, if Mel Tucker just decides, all right, well, that's that you're not getting charged, but you still need two games or you still need, the, you know, you're yeah. going to be out the rest of the season. I don't know what if or if any of that will happen or what he's what he's thinking there. He's got a lot on his plate, but. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I didn't think it was... And some of that will be in response to the Big Ten uh, investigation, too, and what they find, and they expect you to discipline your own. But uh, if you say, well, you know, our guys are innocent, and the Big Ten comes down and said, no, they're not, guess what? Your guys aren't going to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's that part. Yeah, I mean, there's there's multiple levels to it. Um, I don't think it's something where we have to, like, pause the rivalry or anything. I mean, yeah. I, I think... Uh, you're not in favor of switching the games to Ford Field for the next few years? No, no, I, I don't think so. Um, I mean, like, it was definitely a bad look. I think MSU's done uh, everything that they can. You know, the thing that I yeah. still need to find out is, and I don't think that even, you know, I've heard so many MSU fans say, well, why is, the guy shouldn't have been in the tunnel, shouldn't have been in the tunnel. It's like, well, it's his home stadium. Like, if he wants to be in the tunnel, he can be in the tunnel. Like, that doesn't just going up the tunnel doesn't assure you of getting whooped around. You know, he has the right to get up there. Now, did he run his mouth or did did he did he instigate? I don't yeah. know those facts yet. I'm very. That's the thing. I still there's still a very foggy part of the right. picture about the very beginning because I don't think anybody yeah. that's reasonable just goes zero to a hundred and starts swinging a helmet. You know, I mean, there's it usually yeah. starts with a push or a push back and then maybe a punch. Yeah. And, couple punches but then to go all the way out to swinging the helmet violently like it looked like on that video that's 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 quite an escalation that i just don't think most normal people go to immediately so something had to happen to spark it all off i don't blame uh we didn't see everything we saw snippets uh before they entered the tunnel for a while when they were in the tunnel two different views and then at the end uh after they were out of the tunnel or leaving the tunnel so we've seen that we still haven't seen uh, th- there's some gaps in there, and no one is saying that swinging a helmet, regardless of who does it, uh, should be condoned. In fact, uh, it's egregious and should result in considerable penalties, whoever has done it. And, uh, you know, you, you get different versions of what happened in the tunnel. Uh, some of that may be self-justification. Some of it may be posturing. Uh, all we know is what we can see. But uh, as I look at Jermon Green now, I'm, I'm happy that uh, he is as healthy as he seems to be. Uh, you saw the video of him moving up the tunnel, uh, supposedly after the incident had just occurred. And, you know, he's moving well and he's pushing forward and, and he doesn't appear to be uh, in any kind of a disabled state. When you hear about somebody getting conked with a helmet, you think, okay, he's got his skull crushed. This isn't Paul Pelosi. And that doesn't make anything right, okay? I want to reiterate that. I'm not trying to condone anything that may have happened regardless of who swung a helmet. I'm saying that it looks like this guy's going to play this week. So uh, we're we're happy that he has come through this, and uh, it could have been a hell of a lot worse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, uh, yeah, I think there's there's fault, you know, there's there's pieces that everybody can accept here. Obviously, Michigan State has to take the biggest piece of the pie. I mean, that, that yeah. first video yeah. from Ash Arbor, like, the more you watch it, it's like, man, I mean, the, the guy's cornered. You got multiple people who lives to be swinging or at least cornering it. You know, it's, 
it's a really dangerous, bad look there. So Michigan State takes part of it. But also, I mean, how hard is it to just, you know, MSU, I noticed, they, I know they have those ropes and everything uh, for their tunnel when the opposing team comes out or the other bands or this or that. Like, how hard is it to just let one team walk up the tunnel, you know, to have five or six people there, you know, security, cops, whatever, ushers, concessions workers or whatever, to just let the team go up and then, you know, block off the other team for a second, make sure the tunnel is clear, and then let them go. I mean, they yeah. they had stuff to occupy themselves with. They had the, the trophy out there. They had their fans. I mean, they, they, they weren't – I don't think they were, uh, you know, itching to be up that tunnel necessarily. So there's The security there. I mean, there, or lack of security, Stephen – I mean, uh, I don't know whether they were using the Evaldi playbook, but I, I didn't see those guys do anything. No, you can see them on tape just observing things and some of the different angles. A lot of them just sitting around observing and, you know, getting their overtime checks. So, yeah, that is, that, that's a problem there. Um, and like I said, but then the, the Michigan guy, I mean, whatever might have instigated it, I mean, that somebody has to take responsibility for whoever started it. And then the Michigan State players has got to be better than that. I mean, you don't just – you know, you can't just go off and start. You can't just jump a guy. You know, you can't just wail on him with yeah. your helmet. I mean, they, they got to have better self control than that. They got to be more disciplined yeah. than that. So there's there's a lot of there's plenty of blame to go around. Obviously, Michigan State has to accept the largest chunk of that pie. And yeah. and I think Mel Tucker's done the right thing so far. He's he's been swift but sort of diligent at the same time. I mean, I didn't yeah. see the video featuring Jacoby Women until I think Monday, uh, maybe. You know, right. several, several, I don't think they had you know, seen that until. It came yeah. out later. They certainly hadn't on Sunday when they had the initial four suspensions. But they said, hey, there there could be more. Stay tuned. And that's right. exactly what they got. Stephen, uh, what do you think is ahead for this football team now? A lot of people said, well, uh, they'll win the home games against Rutgers and Indiana, and uh, they would need to win one at Michigan, uh, at Illinois, or at Penn State to be bowl eligible. Uh, does this team go 0 and 4 the rest of the way? No, I don't think so. I, I, I'm sure they'll win at least one more one of those home games. But um, you know, before the brawl and everything, I would have said like, "Hey, maybe this is one of those, you know, character revealing sort of defining moments of the Tucker era. Maybe they mm-hmm. go down there and spring some sort of upset on Illinois. I mean, uh, Illinois is playing great. They've got yeah. a very good team. They've got a good coaching staff by the look of it. Both their coordinators seem to be having a really good year, but. Right. I don't think they're in another class of Michigan State talent wise where if they catch no, Illinois on the wrong day, they couldn't right. just walk out of they couldn't walk out of the of course that could right. happen. So if they had their full complement of players, I'd say, hey, they could go down there and with a puncher's chance and maybe put two two halves together for the first time and get a trick yeah. play touchdown early or something, you know, weirder things have happened. But now with, with the lack with the personnel losses, uh, I mean, mostly Winman and Gross, for whatever you want to say about Gross, he's still a guy who's played a lot of football. Yeah. Yeah. His backups have not. Um, whatever you want to say about women, didn't have some of the best moments in coverage. You know, he's still a very productive player on rundowns and and just. Zion Young was really starting to play too at defensive end, and I think he'd absolutely he'd shown a lot of progress. So, uh, I want to switch gears very quickly before we bring in Jeremy Werner to talk Illinois. Uh, your take on Michigan State basketball last night and uh, the seventeen-point exhibition win over Grand Valley. Yeah, I thought, you know, it was it was a little tough. Um, I mean, I thought they played a little sluggish, and Tom Izzo was not happy afterward just with the way they came out. I mean, they were. I know a lot of folks didn't get to see it, but they were trailing at halftime to Grand Valley. Grand Valley didn't yeah. back down, didn't give them an inch. I mean, they came in there they right were down trying five. to get back in. 
Yeah, they were they were trailing at halftime, and Tom Izzo said later, you know, he sort of, you know, he sort of made it a test for his guys and didn't really hammer the scouting report super super deep. Sort of wanted to see if they would take it upon themselves or if they would remember some of the details. And he said they failed that test, and you know, they, we got back in the locker room. Uh, the media did last night for the first time since before the pandemic, which was awesome. Right, uh, right. Very very cool to be to have that again. It's one of the big great perks of covering this program and on and on. But anyway. What we were hearing in there was, yeah, just didn't come out with the same focus. Didn't, you know, just for some weren't very sharp at the beginning. How many times, Jack, did we hear that last year? You know, when yeah. some of those when they, when they were going through some of those streaks. I mean, it why was why would you not have mental focus when you've been waiting for this day? I mean, you you should be so geeked for this. Yeah, I mean, how should, many times last year was it? It was oh, we just weren't sharp at the beginning. Now, for some reason, we just. Came out flat. Don't know why we didn't have energy. Don't know why we weren't sharp. And it was the same thing all the time last year. And to hear it, game one, you know, day one, uh, I'm sorry, against a Division two team, I think that was a little troubling. But elsewhere, uh, it's hard to judge without Jaden Nakins and what he'll do to the rotation. I thought Marty Sissoko had some decent moments where it yeah. looked like, you know, maybe he's he's made some strides. But, again, you, it's, it's going to be a longer-term evaluation on him, too. Uh, Jackson Kohler had a little spurt in the second half where he looked pretty good. And, Carson Cooper played the first half, and I think he's going to be part of things. But, yeah, that was kind of one of my big top-line things. I was just like, man, that's yeah. that can't be a trait for this team again. They definitely they, – they didn't really have the horses to get away with it last year. They definitely don't this year to keep pulling yeah. the, eh, we just came out flat card, you know, you know, two or three now, times a week. I need to talk to Ben Newman, uh, the psychologist there, because when athletes keep saying that, it begs the question, why? I mean – you're the one who's not coming out uh, with focus. You need to analyze why this is not happening and do something to correct it, not just to fall back on that as an excuse. But I thought that uh, the center play was really pretty good, even though uh, I think an NBA-caliber athlete got some very tough baskets against him in the first half. But when, when you look at what Matty Suzoko did, not missing a shot from the field, and Jackson Kohler, who's a better offensive player, did airball a jump shot and missed two free throws, but he looked better than I thought he would on defense. He forced a couple of turnovers, and he, he hung tough in the middle. Uh, so they wound up with 17 points and 13 rebounds from the center position, which is way more than the average uh, for their other positions. And uh, Tom kept talking about all the defensive breakdowns, and there were some mistakes where they gave up open looks. But they also finished with 10 block shots and 13 steals. Thank you, Tyson Walker. And I can't remember a time they had 10 block shots and 13 steals in the same game. Yeah, I think, I think that's the difference between Division One, Division Two length, Division One, Division Two athleticism. Um, especially, you know, the blocks and just the size, you know. But uh, yeah. you mentioned Tyson Walker real quick, too. I thought he... And, and who knows if this is sustainable and this might be a grain of salt yeah. thing and everything, but he came out shooting the ball without hesitation. Yes. Yes. And that's something I know that's something you wanted to see. I know that's something Tom Izzo wanted yeah. to see. And that became yeah. sort of a talking point at a point during last season. It's like, why is he not shooting more? We need more of this production out of him. Yeah. Um, he was a little gun shy, I think. And last night, not at all. He was aggressive, uh, looking for his own shot and everything, and played, I think, almost the entire game off the ball. I don't know if he was ever. Yes. Uh, playing point guard out. I don't ever so. want to see him on the point again. I want to see <laughs> A.J. Hogard and, and Trey Holloman at the point 
And I think he can be, now don't laugh at this, okay? But okay. I think that he can be, with his explosiveness and with his burst, he can be a poor, 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 poor man's Allen Iverson in terms of being Whoa. a small shooting guard as a guy who can shoot better than Iverson. He shoots 48% from three, by the way, which is among the best in the nation. I think he can get his shot. I think that even though he's short, uh, he can be a force on defense. He can steal the ball. Uh, last year he kept getting in foul trouble, which hurt him. But uh, he's not going to score like Allen Iverson because he's not going to take that many shots. But he's going to have uh, considerable efficiency per shot attempt, and I don't want him running the team from the point and trying to distribute the ball. I want him shooting the ball. Allen Iverson, man. He doesn't finish like Allen, that's for sure. And that's still an issue. No. You know, That's still something that's not as strong suit yet. But oh, okay. Now he I'm going to say, oh, Allen Iverson. No, I didn't say that. No. But speaking of, uh, you want you said A.J. and Trey at point guard. How weird is it to see a Michigan State point guard in number five with a headband again? Uh, yeah. I just kept looking at, him, at Trey Holloman last night going, this is so – he even sort of just – his his movements almost sort of look yes. like Cassius. Maybe it's my Very mind much. just sort of connecting dots, but the way Young he, Cassius, yeah, yeah, the way he moves, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so weird. <laughs> Seeing yeah. the headband, the five, the movement, I was like, man, what do we got going on here? All right, I think we should take a break, Stephen. When we get back, uh, we're going to talk with Jeremy Werner, and he covers the Illini for twenty four seven Sports. We'll find out about. One of the biggest surprises in the nation in 2022. We'll be right back on The Drive with Jack. Culver's could have only started in Wisconsin. Hi, just ask our team member, Sarah. When you order a Culver's Butterburger, you're never just a customer. You're a guest in our home. It's why we cook each Butterburger to order just for you. Right down to getting the perfect sear on the beef. That extra care may be a small town thing, but it's big time important to us. Let us serve you with a smile that stretches from our hometown to yours. Welcome to Delicious. Alumni Hall is your ultimate shopping experience for Spartan fans with everything you need to show your Michigan State pride. They have the largest and best selection of apparel for the entire family. Nike, Cutter and Buck, Columbia, Champion, plus their two for $38 tees. And you can't miss their great gifts and accessories. Make sure your family is game ready. Check them out in Lansing's Eastwood Town Center or anytime at alumnihall.com. That's Alumni Hall where Spartan fans shop. If your next event or holiday party has you feeling stressed and overwhelmed, don't be. Voted Lansing's best new restaurant by Top of the Town, One North Kitchen and Bar has catering for every occasion from an award-winning chef. Book your next event by calling 517-901-5001. One North is the perfect place to get with family and friends for all the big games. Also voted Lansing's best sports bar, they have over 40 TVs, feature scratch cooking, amazing craft cocktails, and the largest draft beer selection in West Lansing. That's One North Kitchen and Bar, where friends and family gather to make good times great. 
Time for a career change? Looking to make a difference? Dean Transportation is looking for compassionate people to join our dedicated team of school bus professionals. Dean Transportation has immediate openings and offers paid training to obtain a commercial driver's license. With increased starting pay, benefit packages, flexible scheduling with weekday hours, and more, Dean Transportation may be the career choice for you. No experience needed. Apply now and train all summer. Head to DeanJobs.com. So, it's been a while since you've had your jewelry cleaned and inspected, right? Where will you go and who will you trust with your most valuable and treasured heirlooms? At Meadowar Jewelers, four locations in Lansing, Okemos, Jackson, and Portage, jewelry isn't just our job, it's our passion. Each and every piece entrusted in our care is thoroughly inspected by our trained staff against damage or normal wear. And we offer you, our customer, the highest level of quality on repairs and custom designs. Whether it's worn-out prongs, channels, or shanks, it's all handled with incredible care. Metawar Jewelers in Lansing, Okemos, Jackson, and Portage want to help you preserve your memories and offer you options on creating new ones. Come in today for the cleaning and inspection of your jewelry. We continue to work hard every day to earn your confidence and trust. Jack Ebling here with my good friend Matt Sloan at Graf Chevrolet and Graf Nissan. A lot more traffic out here, and it looks like you got some new inventory coming. Finally, Jack, it's getting there. We're not back to the good old days, but we're certainly getting better. We've got more Chevys, more Nissans than we've had in probably a year. 2023s are starting to hit the ground, so it's a great time to come out and look for a new vehicle. And if you're looking to maintain your current one, don't forget we've got a great service parts and body shop as well. Stop out and see Matt and the gang here on West Grand River in Okemos. They're making friends. Culver's could have only started in Wisconsin. Our team member, Nick, will tell you why. Oh, yeah, that's an easy one. Wisconsin is the dairy state, so naturally, Culver's was inspired by everyone's favorite rich and creamy tradition, frozen custard. We make our fresh frozen custard in small batches in every Culver's. It's a match, or (laughs) batch, made in heaven. Come have a taste of Wisconsin. Welcome to Delicious. When you want Spartan gear, Alumni Hall is your ultimate shopping destination. They always deliver the best and newest selection of apparel for the whole family. Nike, Cutter & Buck, Columbia, Champion, plus accessories, Yeti, hats, and all things Spartan. Spartan students, faculty, and military enjoy 10% off in-store every day. Check them out in Lansing or at alumnihall.com to make sure you are game ready. It's Alumni Hall where Spartan fans shop. Welcome back. It is the Drive with Jack Spotlight Radio Network. All of our Wednesday shows brought to you by Graph of Okemos, 108 years in the automobile business. Stop and see Matt, Mark, and Greg. They'll take great care of you as they have in all eight of my leases and purchases. Back here with Stephen Brooks, 24-7 Sports Spartan Tailgate Premium Site. Stephen, you remember a year ago it was year two for Mel Tucker, and everything went Michigan State's way. They won five consecutive close games in the Mel Tucker era. And we're talking about, what, uh, 16 and 12? Still hasn't lost a close game. Every close game. Michigan State has won, which says something about losses. But 
something happens in year two for a lot of programs that are well coached. We saw it with Jim Tressel, year two in Columbus, and they won a national championship. We saw it with Nick Saban, had a rough start in Tuscaloosa. Year two, they're the Bama that we know. Uh, we see it, even Mark D'Antonio, same time frame. Wins nine games his second year. No one saw that coming. And then they have a fall off in year three. They have seven losses and a very ugly brawl. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> um, we've seen it with a lot of coaches in year two in a program. And this year, we're seeing it in Champaign, Illinois. Uh, do you want to do the introduction on Jeremy? Yes, absolutely. So, Illini Inquirer is an example of the 24-7 sports network at its best, in my opinion. They do an absolutely incredible job covering all things Illinois. Um, and then the top dog to know over there is Jeremy Werner, who's with us right now to, to talk about, as you mentioned, Jack. I mean, I think that it's got to be the surprise story of the Big Ten season, one of the surprise stories of all of college football. So, thanks for joining us here, Jeremy. Yeah, thanks, guys. Certainly uh, has been uh, a season unlike any other I've covered in my decade-plus here uh, at Illinois. But they're a good team, and I think they're legit. Yeah. Obviously, I don't think uh, they, they've proven it against a top-tier team because they haven't had one yet on the schedule. But, you know, since that Indiana loss where they really dominated the game but just, you know, shot themselves in the foot too many times or turnovers in Indiana territory, uh, they, they've been pretty dominant. Outside the Iowa game that was close because Illinois didn't have a starting quarterback in, uh, Illinois has really dominated most of the action, and it's it's been unfluky. Like, you know, 2019 when Illinois made a bowl game and clinched it in East Lansing, a little bit of a fluky win and what was a fluky four-game win streak based all on turnovers and takeaways. Um, this has been Wisconsin-like, Iowa-like football in that they play great defense, they run the football really well, uh, and they make fewer mistakes than their opponents. So uh, around here, I think it's, it's really exciting because it's a, it's a competent, sustainable brand of football. It's been a fun team to watch. Jeremy, how many wins over teams with winning records for the Illini? They put me on the spot there. Um, but uh, let's see here. Wyoming has, has gone on and had a really good season since Illinois. Crushed them in the opener 38-6. to uh, Virginia and Indiana are, are losing teams at this point. Chattanooga's an FCS team. They're a winning team. I think Wisconsin won the year as a winning team. I think Iowa has a chance. Uh, Minnesota's a winning team right now. So, what's that, three or four uh, winning teams? So, yeah, the strength of schedule has not been very good. I, I think Wisconsin and Iowa will, will end up pretty good teams. Um, Minnesota had a pretty dang good start to the year. It's been rougher mm-hmm. for them during Big Ten play, especially with Tanner Morgan out. Right. But uh, they've, they've taken care of what has been on their schedule, has been a weaker schedule. But as I said, guys, they've, they've dominated it. I think the, it's 204 to 77. They're outscoring yeah. opponents so far, something like that this year. Yeah. Steven, when you think of this Illinois team, uh, we know what Mel Tucker did in year two, going from two wins in the COVID shortened year to 11, and you wind up with as many losses as you had wins the year before, and you're you're a coach of the year, Big Ten coach of the year, certainly. And you have a dominant running back, Doak Walker Award winner. Does it remind you of what Brett Bielema is doing in year two and uh, what Chase Brown is providing? Do you look at this and see, hey, this is the Michigan State of 2022? 
A little bit, just in terms of, like you said, I mean, the the, the run game, um, Chase Brown, he wasn't a transfer in or anything, but sort of made a name for himself, put himself on the national radar, I think, this year. Uh, he's already, I just I was just looking at it, he's already surpassed the honest production from last season with a handful of games to go here. Um, but the thing is, as I look at it, they're not, you know, and, and maybe, I'm, maybe I'm wrong here, and Jeremy can correct me, but like, at least looking at their final scores, like, as he mentioned, I mean, they're kind of dominating, they're kind of handling business thoroughly, whereas Michigan State was sweating out a lot of those games last year, as we've talked about ad nauseum. I mean, the, the one-score games that they were successful in was just uh, uncanny. It seems like here, other than, you know, you had the Iowa game and, uh, you know, Minnesota was might have been tight for a little bit there until and then Tanner Morgan had his deal. But for the most part, at least looking at these final scores, Illinois is just – they're not really sweating through these things the way Michigan State had to in some of those nail-biters a year ago. And that, to me, I mean, is, is really impressive to have that – that program maturity, that confidence. I don't know. I think there's a lot of older dudes on this roster, if I'm not mistaken. But still in year two to have that belief and that execution, that confidence to, to keep this thing rolling and to win all these uh, games in a row without subbing your toe, I think is, is a really impressive trait for a team. Jeremy, Illinois has gotten a, a big uh, infusion uh, from the portal with Tommy DeVito at quarterback. Uh, Syracuse product. Can you talk a little bit about what he has meant to this team? He's meant a lot because last year, Illinois' defense was pretty good, guys. Uh, during Big Ten play, they were number four uh, in the conference in, in scoring defense. It was under 20 points a game. Chase Brown was an all-Big Ten third-team guy. So those are things Illinois was good at last year when they went to Penn State and, and won a football game in nine overtimes, when they went to a ranked Minnesota team uh, and beat them, when they crushed Northwestern and beat Northwestern, their in-state rival for the first time, in six years, those things we knew were good. Uh, what they needed to be better at was throwing the football. They were awful last year under Tony Peterson. Uh, Brandon Peters is their quarterback, Art Sikowski. Uh, and Brett Bielma showed a lot of urgency. Uh, Tony Peterson was his first hire at Illinois on the coaching staff, and he fired him uh, after 11 months on the job because he thought it wasn't going in the right direction and it wouldn't work. And he hired Barry Loney Jr. And, and got Tommy DeVito. Actually, before he hired Barry Loney Jr., he got DeVito's commitment with the idea of putting him in Barry Loney's offense. Um, and, and the two together, I don't think you can name one without the other, but the two together have just given Illinois a competent, efficient passing attack. Loney runs uh, a pro-style offense, but with spread concepts. They like to do the RPO. They like zone reads. They like... Um, you know, a lot of option things, screen passes, shovel passes. Um, but then they run the football, and they're physical at, at running the football. But DeVito is, is on pace to set single-season records at Illinois in completion percentage. I think he's number three in the country in completion percentage. Uh, and uh, he's going to set a single-season record at Illinois in, in pass efficiency. So he just makes great decisions. He gets rid of the ball extremely quickly, and he's very accurate. Illinois hasn't been great on deep balls this year. They're, they're not a team that's going to stretch the field all that much. But DeVito on third down has been very accurate. He can prolong plays with his legs. He can make plays with his feet, uh, running the football. Um, so he's just given them such a more balanced attack. They're averaging more than 80 more yards per game, about five more first downs per game. Uh, in their passing offense, they're averaging about 60 more yards of passing. Uh, they actually are about the same of what they were running the ball last year, uh, but they've just been much better at passing the ball. So it just gives them a much more balanced attack that can stay on the field. And Illinois is one of the best in the country at time of possession. 
uh, with 36 minutes, basically, of time of possession every game. So that keeps a really good defense fresh uh, and allows them to make adjustments on the sidelines a little longer. So it's been really good complimentary football with what uh, Barry Loney and Tommy DeVito have added to the offense. Stephen, uh, the Big Ten is blessed with running backs this year. Some years it's a quarterback conference. This year it seems like everywhere you turn, almost, uh, they're outstanding running backs. And when you think about uh, Mo Ibrahim at uh, Minnesota, we know what he can do with that string of 100-yard games. It's pretty spectacular. Braylon Allen, uh, he's a, a massive back to try to stop in short yardage. Uh, maybe a little more explosive than some people think. Uh, Ron Dane Light uh, over in Madison. We know what Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams can do at Ohio State as a one-two punch. I don't think we've seen the best football out of Henderson yet. Uh, Blake Corum, uh, spectacular in a lot of ways. I think he's a front runner for the Doak Walker Award, one of, one of many candidates. And the guy he might have to beat out for that award I think a lot is going to depend on what happens uh, November 19th in Ann Arbor, Stephen, is Chase Brown. So how do you rank those backs? And if you could only have one, who would you take? I still think uh, based on pure ability and talent, like you said, I know he hasn't had the year that, that I and, and others thought he'd have, but still I'd say first pick I'd take Travion Henderson. Uh, number two, I'm going Chase Brown now. Um, the, the guy has been spectacular. I mean, he can do a lot of things. He's reliable. He's rugged. I mean, he's, and there's, I, I don't have a bad thing, thing to say about him. Um, I just think Travion has a little bit more uh, higher ceiling, I guess, a little bit more explosiveness yeah. on the upside. But then I'd go probably Corum three, Allen four, Ibrahim five. Um, that's, but that's really hard to do. It feels, wow. it feels tough to put some of those guys that low uh, as well. And then you got the Penn State guys. They're, they're two young kids that they got over yeah. there, both yeah. pretty good. Um, but, yeah, I think that's how I'd go right now. <laughs> Jeremy, uh, uh, Stephen knows his running backs, but mm. if he's going to take Henderson and Brown 1-2, and I, I can certainly see why you would do that, I think I would take Ibrahim uh, uh, and uh, Corum, and I'd feel really good about my backfield. I think you feel good about any of those guys. I think Stephen's probably right when you go to the NFL draft. Uh, Trevion Henderson's probably the most talented. Mayan Williams at Ohio State's pretty good, too. Uh, Ohio State's got a lot of good players. Um, but if you, if you go to the, the importance of their team, I think Mo Ibrahim is, is very high up there. I think Blake Corum, you know, Michigan's got another running back behind him who's pretty dang good. Very you could good. probably be putting up those numbers. Listen, I get it. If you're a Doak Walker um, today, production matters, right? Uh, and Chase Brown leads the country in rushing. He does not have the touchdowns that Blake Corum has. Uh, and Blake Corum plays for a top-five team in the country. Uh, as you said, Jack, like Illinois and Chase Brown will have their opportunity. If they're 9-1, and one, already have a Big Ten championship clinched by week 12, which would be amazing, right? Like if they win the next two games against Michigan State and Purdue, they will clinch the Big Ten West. Uh, Chase Brown will have his opportunity in the national yeah. spotlight in what would probably be a top-ten game. Uh, but Chase Brown is is among the best running backs in the country. He does remind me uh, a lot of Kenneth Walker. Uh, Walker might be a little faster. Walker might be a little stouter, too. Uh, I don't think Brown will be picked quite that high in the NFL. But uh, Brown has great acceleration. He doesn't go down on, on first contact. He's become a lot more patient uh, as a runner his last couple of years under Brett Bielma. Uh, he's become a lot better uh, in the passing game. He's, he's a pretty dang good blocker now, and he's – 
He's definitely a receiving threat. He's got almost as many touchdowns receiving uh, as he does running the football. So he's been everything for Illinois' offense. Like they got some other good players, and Isaiah Williams at wide out, Pat Bryant at wide out. Uh, but uh, I, I, you know, Chase Brown is, is as irreplaceable as, as anybody in the Big Ten for an offense. Uh, Jeremy, when you, uh, you mention the Illinois challenge rolling into Ann Arbor, I find it very interesting that if Illinois beats Purdue and, and beats Michigan State, uh, that it will roll in and basically all it has to do is win one of the last, well, I didn't have to do that. It clinches the title, clinches the mm-hmm. title with a win over Purdue. And Michigan is, is also in a situation where if it wins the next two games, uh, the Illinois game is, is totally irrelevant, not going to matter. It would, as far as sneaking into the college football playoff uh, as a second Big Ten team, but I think uh, that's not likely to, to happen. So that Michigan-Illinois game that everyone is waiting for could be totally irrelevant. Wouldn't matter to the Illini and wouldn't matter to Michigan. Michigan could lose that game to Illinois by 30 points and still win the national championship. Well, let me stop you there because it wouldn't be irrelevant to Illinois. If Illinois wins their next two games and goes into Michigan and beats Michigan, all of a sudden they're in the college football playoff conversation. I know yeah, then if they would crazy. beat Ohio State, right, or or beat yeah, Michigan the I mean, they, time, I, and, they and I would that. give them, I would give them a one percent chance of, of winning that yeah. game against Ohio State. But if yeah. they beat Michigan, and then they, they would definitely beat Northwestern, is just awful. You go into a Big Ten championship game playing for a chance at college football playoff. So I would disagree with you there that yeah. it would it would be meaningless. It would be meaningless for a Big Ten championship game, yes, but for Illinois, that would be such an uh, an arrival moment, and they'd have nothing to lose in that game, but, but certainly everything to gain. I just find it fascinating that a team could be in the college football playoff with the loss to Indiana. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, I think that says about what they're doing. Um, and plus they still got to beat Michigan and Ohio state to do it. So uh, it seems far fetched, but the, the Indiana game, if you, if you watch it, if you go back and watch the highlights, Illinois dominated. The numbers show they dominated. They committed four turnovers, uh, three in Indiana territory, and they also had a touchdown catch overturned, uh, or not called a touchdown, and then not overturned, even though it was clearly uh, a touchdown. So they, they, they had too many mistakes themselves. I'm not saying that the referee call was the only reason they lost, but um, everything that could go wrong went wrong in that game despite them dominating it. Uh, but, yeah, it certainly hurts because right now if they're 8-0 and they beat Michigan and they're – um, 12 and 0 going into the Big Ten championship game or whatever it is. Yeah, we'd be talking about this team a lot differently. It, it's the it's the one stain on their record right now. Stephen, what is more likely that Illinois will get stung by Purdue in a game that uh, I've been looking forward to for a long time, or that Illinois will win in Ann Arbor? Which is more likely? Oh, I gotta go uh, Purdue with the Purdue upset at that point. I know those are your guys. I know you're. I know you're still backing them. <laughs> so I gotta go Purdue. I mean, they are. As I've said, they are a dangerous team on any given day. It's just that trusting them to string anything together throughout the course of shoot a month, let alone a season, you know, is where you really get yourself into trouble. So give me Purdue. 
clash of styles there. They go to Michigan. Michigan's going to be – I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a look-ahead spot for Ohio State, but if Michigan's still undefeated, they'll be probably in, in, in the top four of the playoffs at that point. They'll have a ton to play for. I don't think they're going to take their eye off the ball. So um, give, me, uh, give me the Purdue upset. Uh, would you agree with that, Jeremy? Yeah, I mean, Purdue's a dangerous team. Um, you know, it's more likely not... Purdue gets the Illini than Illinois beats uh, Michigan in Ann Arbor? Yeah, I mean, the, the metrics would say that Illinois and Purdue are much closer of a team uh, than, than Michigan and, and Illinois at this point. And being on the road in Ann Arbor is a little bit different than, than Champaign, even though tickets are selling right now. I just think, yeah, Purdue-Illinois is more of an even matchup. I think Illinois is the better all-around football team, uh, but Purdue's passing offense is pretty good. I, I think, listen, we can have that conversation, but I, I think Illinois can compete uh, against Michigan. Will I pick them to win? Probably not, because Michigan's more talented. They're a physical football team. Um, but I do think Illinois' defense is good enough to compete up there. They have a quarterback who I think gives them a chance to win. And they, they got a game-breaker in Chase Brown that if he has one of his best games, they'll have a chance. So uh, I, I'm not going to predict that. Illinois still got two big games before then. But uh, I do think Illinois can compete. Whether they can win, we'll find out in three weeks. There are a couple numbers out of Vegas, guys, that I find very interesting. One of them is... The spread is 16 and a half. I get that. I can see how you would come up with that, uh, especially now after last weekend. But the matchup predictor that runs thousands of simulations through ESPN analytics has Michigan State winning this game 31.8% of the time. If you ask people in East Lansing, they might say 3.8% of the time. But 31.8% of these matchups have come out in Michigan State's favor, Stephen, to me, that is an astounding number. It is. It is. I don't know what 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 goes into that. I guess I don't know if it accounts for the suspensions. Of course, uh, I would doubt it. But yeah, that's. I think that's what Jeremy's saying. Though, like you know, the Illinois to Purdue gap isn't the same as Illinois to Michigan. The Michigan State to Illinois gap isn't the same. You know, as as, as a Michigan or something else. So that, I guess right. that's maybe where we're getting at there. Um, before we let Jeremy go, though, I want to real quick ask him, Jack, if I could. I'm just wondering, like, the, yeah. the vibe around the, the program, the state, uh, the Champaign area. I mean, how much fun has this been? Normally, this is turn the page to Brad Underwood and the boys type of you know time of year, and I'm guessing that's not happening so quickly this year. Just wondering how fun, how much fun you're sensing this fan base is having, and, and what this ride's been like. <laughs> yeah, you, you hit it there, Stephen. Usually, you know, Big Ten basketball media day and then local media day for basketball can't come soon enough because people are just ready to move on from football season right. that didn't go so well in September. Um, right. Yeah. Now basketball season, even though it's exciting with a new look roster, so many transfers, so many good freshmen coming in, it's probably going to be up and down this season, but it's going to be exciting to see something new uh, that is so talented. Uh, I think people are, are getting back into Memorial Stadium. They're getting back into football and, and kind of digging what college football is because the last decade, guys, has just been terrible uh, around what here. What kind of attendances have they had, Jeremy? What have the crowds been? Well, they hadn't had from Lovey Smith's second game at Illinois to this season, just a couple weeks ago, they hadn't had a crowd of larger than 40,000 sold tickets. They've had wow. that the last two games, they've had over 40,000. And they're on the verge. They're very close to a sellout, which would be the first sellout since 2016 here. So if you will, if you win, they will come. They certainly are. But yeah, it's just this is such a an unforeseen season. I thought they could be a bowl team. Um, I, I thought they could, 
you know, potentially be in the middle of the Big Ten West. I did not see them demolishing Wisconsin. I did not see them demolishing Minnesota, Nebraska, right, uh, beating yeah. Iowa all in a row, four straight games. Uh, Illinois has not had a run like this in, in quite some time. Really, Ron Zook's last season when he won six to start the season, two Big Ten games, but then lost six in a row and got fired after that. Uh, it's right. probably been since the Rose Bowl season of 2007 that it's it's been better than expected. Uh, but, again, this does feel – like it has the chance to be sustainable with the way they're building it. They're going to have to hit the transfer portal. But this is a special season by Illinois football standards. It's the best start uh, since 2001 when they won the Big Ten championship for the last time. Uh, it's the highest they've been ranked in the AP Top 25 since the Rose Bowl game. Um, so it's it's one of the rare seasons of Illinois football being great, but they're hoping it's a, a thing that's more normal for Illinois where they can go to a bowl game every year and they can dream of – you know, going to a Big Ten championship game or competing uh, in the top five of, of the Big Ten. And Brett Bielema's got a history of doing that. We'll see if he can uh, replicate it long-term in his home state. When you say getting close to a sellout, are you talking about for the Big Ten West title showdown uh, against Purdue, or are you talking about this week? This week against Michigan State. As of uh, wow. as of last week, it was 3,000 away. Right now on their site, as of yesterday, they had about 80 tickets left. They were trying to get rid of all their student tickets left. So, yes, this Michigan State game uh, is close to a sellout. And I would imagine Purdue, if it's not a sellout, it will be close to a sellout as well, given uh, the stakes of that game if Illinois takes care of business against Michigan State, which is supposed to be a windy, wet day, guys. And I think that favors Illinois, given – what they do in the trenches and in the running game, and, and Michigan State struggles running the football this year. Got that right. Uh, Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, have fun this weekend and the rest of the football season, and maybe we'll talk to you before the Big Ten Championship game. Appreciate you guys. Anytime. And, Stephen, thanks so much for joining us. As always, great job. Uh, I will not be going to Champaign, so – uh, I will see you next Monday back at Breslin Center. All right. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Jack. Okay. That is uh, Stephen Brooks, 24-7 Sports, and Jeremy Werner, who covers the Illini for 24-7. We will be right back, and Audrey Dahlgren's going to join us from WLNS. She's the sports director and lead anchor there. We'll talk a little bit about what we saw last weekend. She was at Michigan Stadium. Uh, what the outlook is moving forward for this team, and also a little Big Ten basketball. And uh, some high school football, too. We're in week two of the playoffs, and we still have some local teams with dreams. We'll be right back on The Drive with Jack. Culver's could have only started in Wisconsin. Just ask our team member, Sarah. When you order a Culver's Butterburger, you're never just a customer. You're a guest in our home. It's why we cook each Butterburger to order just for you, right down to getting the perfect sear on the beef. That extra care may be a small-town thing, but it's big-time important to us. Let us serve you with a smile that stretches from our hometown to yours. Welcome to Delicious. Alumni Hall is your ultimate shopping experience for Spartan fans with everything you need to show your Michigan State pride. They have the largest and best selection of apparel for the entire family. Nike, Cutter and Buck, Columbia, Champion, plus their two for $38 tees. And you can't miss their great gifts and accessories. Make sure your family is game ready. Check them out at Lansing's Eastwood Town Center or anytime at alumnihall.com. 
That's Alumni Hall, where Spartan fans shop. If your next event or holiday party has you feeling stressed and overwhelmed, don't be. Voted Lansing's best new restaurant by Top of the Town, One North Kitchen and Bar has catering for every occasion from an award-winning chef. Book your next event by calling 517-901-5001. One North is the perfect place to get with family and friends for all the big games. Also voted Lansing's best sports bar, they have over 40 TVs, feature scratch cooking, amazing craft cocktails, and the largest draft beer selection in West Lansing. That's One North Kitchen and Bar, where friends and family gather to make good times great. Time for a career change? Looking to make a difference? Dean Transportation is looking for compassionate people to join our dedicated team of school bus professionals. Dean Transportation has immediate openings and offers paid training to obtain a commercial driver's license. With increased starting pay, benefit packages, flexible scheduling with weekday hours, and more, Dean Transportation may be the career choice for you. No experience needed. Apply now and train all summer. Head to DeanJobs.com. So, it's been a while since you've had your jewelry cleaned and inspected, right? Where will you go and who will you trust with your most valuable and treasured heirlooms? At Meadowar Jewelers' four locations in Lansing, Okemos, Jackson, and Portage, jewelry isn't just our job, it's our passion. Each and every piece entrusted in our care is thoroughly inspected by our trained staff against damage or normal wear. And we offer you, our customer, the highest level of quality on repairs and custom designs. Whether it's worn-out prongs, channels, or shanks, it's all handled with incredible care. Medawar Jewelers in Lansing, Okemos, Jackson, and Portage want to help you preserve your memories and offer you options on creating new ones. Come in today for the cleaning and inspection of your jewelry. We continue to work hard every day to earn your confidence and trust. Jack Ebling here with my good friend Matt Sloan at Graf Chevrolet and Graf Nissan. A lot more traffic out here, and it looks like you got some new inventory coming. Finally, Jack. It's getting there. We're not back to the good old days, but we're certainly getting better. We've got more Chevys, more Nissans than we've had in probably a year. 2023s are starting to hit the ground, so it's a great time to come out and look for a new vehicle. And if you're looking to maintain your current one, don't forget we've got a great service parts and body shop as well. Stop out and see Matt and the gang here on West Grand River in Okemos. They're making friends. Culver's could have only started in Wisconsin. Our team member, Nick, will tell you why. Oh, yeah, that's an easy one. Wisconsin is the dairy state, so naturally, Culver's was inspired by everyone's favorite rich and creamy tradition, frozen custard. We make our fresh frozen custard in small batches in every Culver's. It's a match, or (laughs) batch, made in heaven. Come have a taste of Wisconsin. Welcome to Delicious. Welcome back. It is The Drive with Jack, the Spotlight Radio Network. All of our Wednesday shows brought to you by Graf of Okemos, Graf Chevrolet, and Graf Nissan, side-by-side on West Grand River. Open late on Mondays and Thursdays, by the way. Want to welcome in, as we do each Wednesday at about this time, Audrey Dahlgren. She is the sports director and lead anchor WLNS Channel 6. She's also a host of the fifth quarter of the MSU, FCU, MSU Coaches Show. She's a contributor to BTN. 
She's a Heisman Trophy voter, and on and on and on. Odd, how are you? Hey, Jack. I'm doing pretty good today. How are you? Good. Where were you Saturday night at uh, about 11 o'clock when the game ended? I was actually in the press conference room, visitors press conference room at Michigan Stadium, getting ready to um, hear from the players and Mel Tucker uh, after the game. So I was probably, um, you know, the tunnel. The tunnel is not too far away from where mm-hmm. the visiting right. press conference room is. So yeah. I was in the press conference room, but I wasn't in the tunnel. <laughs> so, but I was close in close proximity. Uh, and I did I could not definitely... make your way out there uh, as some reporters did, and that probably answers the question. Uh, a number of people have wondered why didn't Audrey just go out there and break it up. Yeah, because I could probably do so much in that instance with my, um, you know, my five foot five hundred and twenty five pound frame. But you know, <laughs> who knows? Um, I, uh, I I could hear some things, but I didn't exactly know what uh, was going on. And um, I, it, to be honest with you, it all happened very quickly. That I yeah, was like yeah. I said, I was trying to get set up and focused for. Um, you know, the press conferences, and I was trying to test the mic audio levels and everything. So I did not I did not see what happened. Yeah, I was trying to get to where you were, but I got redirected uh, and uh, wound up at the back end of the tunnel and walked right up uh, close to the Michigan State locker room and across the way from the Michigan locker room, and I just saw a bunch of bodies who then – Uh, found their way into the locker room, and it was probably two minutes after uh, those incidents occurred. So as usual, I was just a little too late. But uh, it was interesting to see the passion, the reaction, about what I figured from the players. Uh, Situation spun out of control, and now that you know what you know, what's your conclusion? My conclusion is that this rivalry is no longer a respectful rivalry. Yeah. That's my ultimate bottom line conclusion when it comes to all of the events that have transpired. There is, is no it, respect Is it a toxic left. rivalry? Is it something that uh, has gone from uh, something that we all look forward to that, to something we just cringe and hope that uh, nothing terrible happens? I think it's getting to that point, and I think that because even now, after everything that had trans- has transpired because of it, now the next step is you think of, even now next up, it will be basketball season. And I even feel like last year during basketball season, those games were even a little bit more charged up than usual yeah. Yeah. coming off of the football season, coming out of what had transpired from the football game that year. So it just keeps building and um, – I think that the Big Ten, I think that the Big Ten Conference, and I think Commissioner Kevin Warren, I think that it, you know they really need to kind of step up and uh, address this, address it. Well, at worst, I think there has to be some Big Ten controlled, ordered, mandated security for certain games, and uh, Michigan Stadium that it does not. Condone doesn't excuse anything that happened there. Don't get the idea that I'm like saying, "Well, you're justifying it." No, I'm not saying anything like that. I'm saying that in that tunnel, you've been in that tunnel 
several times. Uh, you know what that is like, how narrow it is, how long it is. And when you have the passion, which began before the game with trash talk from alums, from players, you can say, well, yeah, you ought to be able to control yourself. That's true. But out on the field, after the end of the game, there was pushing, there was shoving. And at that point, security, which should have been increased after the, the Penn State uh, run-in, uh, should have been in place to keep the teams separated. And uh, I know Michigan State was on a long, slow walk up that tunnel. It wasn't sprinting up the tunnel, uh, but it hadn't stopped to play chess either. So it was moving up the tunnel, and uh, some players got there. And whether uh, there was any instigation or whether Michigan State's players saw this as an opportunity, uh, right now the important thing is, that uh, Jamon Green seems healthy. Uh, I'm, I think there's going to be uh, criminal charges. There's going to be uh, legal proceedings. That's going to stretch this out. Uh, there's going to be a disciplinary review for the eight Michigan State players uh, who are suspended. No one from Michigan is, is impacted that way, um, what we've seen so far. So I think that this is going to continue for a long time, Odd, as you say, and it's going to drag into basketball season. And then next season, when it comes back here, uh, this isn't going to go away anytime soon. No, and you and there are some people who have even brought up the fact that, well, then do you just now make this game at a neutral site? Do you just make it at a, you know, a place where you're not playing in East Lansing and you're not playing in Ann Arbor? And at that yeah. point, who even wants to play the game in the first place? If you can't play it at each you know, respective university because yeah. of this, because of the fact that, you know, whether it be players or fans or, you know, there's no control, that is a serious issue. And that's not what college athletics is all about, and that's not what college football is all about. You brought up a very good point when it came to, you know, the security on the field, the security in the tunnel, the security yeah. outside of the stadium. You know, my issue with this is the fact that, what are, why is all that security in place if no one's going to stop anything? Why are they even there? Yeah. And, and it does not condone. I am not condoning the fact. I do not agree that there should be no physical violence ever in any situation. But security is, is there for a reason to, 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 you know, help mitigate and control these types of things that so they don't get out of control. And there was none of that. There was none of that taking place. And, you know, it's thought on a lot of separate instances uh, throughout the day. And, you know, that is something that I just think it needs to be, you know, it's something probably that should also be addressed at a Big Ten conference. You know, uh, someone said, well, you can't police every foot of the tunnel. And that's true. But uh, I had another idea. Uh, I know people who have been in fights, lots of them. And I know how they respond when they think that the police are arriving. I think what they could do in a lot of stadiums, and Michigan would be Exhibit A but uh, because of the, the shape of the tunnel, but a lot of stadiums could have this. They could have it at Michigan State, too. Certainly Miami, we've seen it. We saw it at South Carolina Clemson. They could have sirens in the tunnel, and they could have someone just looking at a monitor. And as soon as they see any sign that there's going to be an outbreak uh, and it can happen quick they hit that siren and that thing goes off at 
uh, high decibels, and you would see those guys scatter. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I think anybody's looking for a resolution to make sure that there's no conflict in that tunnel or any other tunnel. You know, the protocol is supposed to be that the opposing team at halftime at Michigan goes first, and then the home team. Same thing after the game. Opposing team goes first, and then the home team. Same thing at Michigan State. Opposing team goes first at halftime, and then Michigan State goes in. Same thing after the game. And so if you're not following the protocol, that's also another issue. Yeah. Uh, The idea of playing this game at Ford Field, I think. I wouldn't even uh, want, like, I feel like I wouldn't even want it to be played at that point. Which I mean, I don't know what fan of, I don't know who who supports the rivalry and thinks what's best for the rivalry would want it to be played at a neutral site. Yeah. Some people have said, well, Florida and Georgia, uh, they play every year in Jacksonville. They don't play in Athens and Gainesville and Oklahoma and Texas. They always played at the Texas State Fair in Dallas, not in Austin or in Norman. But here's why I think this wouldn't work. Because this has been one way for so long, you're not going to be able to get people to change their mindsets now. The toothpaste is out of the tube. And I was at a Final Four uh, in April, Odd. Uh, in New Orleans, uh, best friend and I went, and we had nosebleed seats. We had a blast there, but we we were watching most of the game on the scoreboard monitors. And there were fights up there between Duke and North Carolina fans. And this game wasn't in Chapel Hill or Durham, but there was a lot of alcohol, and there were a lot of inebriated fans. And some of the things that were said about Mike Shashevsky that were said about North Carolina. And next thing you know... It wouldn't matter if the game was played in Egypt. There are going to be fights. Right. And that's very true. And then I think it also just goes back to speak to the importance of having security and security, you know, monitoring situations so that it doesn't get to a point where it gets and escalates, you know, to a point of violence. Like I said, I am not condoning the fact, not one bit about, you know, and, you know, I had a lot of people, after the game, I had uh, t- I had quote tweeted, you know, the fan at Michigan Stadium who had touched Mel's head. Yeah. And, you know, I think because of just how charged up everybody is about all of this right now, you know, referring to it in that quote tweet as a scuffle and, you know, people being like, this is assault, you know, et cetera, going on and on in that aspect. And so, like, I'm not trying to condone or stick up for the Michigan State players at all. Um, But, you know, like I said, security is in that tunnel. Security is outside the stadium and in the stadium for a reason. And if they're not going to step in when they need to step in, why are they there? One other look at this, Auden, and I want to get on a couple other things, but Tom Crawford and I had a long discussion on the way back. Uh, He drove and, and I passengered. And then again on Press Pass with Rico on Sunday nights, and we've talked about it a couple of other times, that this is emblematic of some real problems we have in this country, in this society, with the polarization, with the lack of civility, with the acceptance, the condoning of violence in many cases as an answer. And you can look at the January 6th insurrection. You don't like uh, what happened? Well, then you just go and might makes right, and you're going to see it again. I guarantee you're going to see it in one of the next two elections and probably both 
that people aren't going to like the results. And that's where we are in this country right now. And it has certainly spilled over into sports. This wasn't the only uh, problem we have had. It's probably the, the one that's gotten the most exposure right now from the NBC Nightly News, etc. But there are going to be lots of these kinds of conflicts moving forward because we have allowed them to happen. And in many cases, we've enabled them. Yeah, and I completely agree. And the other point, and, uh, you know, this is sort of, this is always a, um, you know, touchy topic, but yeah. it's a direct result of everything that you're alluding to, too, is the racism in our country right now is yeah. still at an all-time high. Yes. And it is incredibly sad to think that we live in 2022 and, um, you know, some of the remarks and things that have been said or are being said about the situation, players, you know, coaches, et cetera, is um, a direct result of also what you are you just spoke to. And that is something that I think is very discouraging and disappointing when it comes to, um, you know, our society and our country right now. It, it, I just, it, you know, I can't believe that we're still at that point. We're talking with Audrey Dahlgren, WLNS, Pride of Potterville. And Potterville's got a, a lot of exposure on TV this month. Uh, Audrey's my favorite Potterville broadcaster. Sorry, Joe Davis. But I uh, <laughs> want to talk a little bit about what you've got going this week, week two of the playoffs. It's supposed to be beautiful. Uh, Friday night, uh, I assume you might be at Grand Ledge Hold. Is that right? Yes, that's going to be our big game on Friday. So we will be there Friday. And we're looking forward to district championship Friday night in high school football. Um, You know, I'm not going to lie. I'm very – it's hard for me to sort of – you know, as a journalist, you try not to, um, you know, let yourself get caught up in things that are happening. But I just think that because of, you know, sport in itself and what sport is supposed to stand for – and someone, you know, who was an athlete growing up, um, you know, stuff like this is just very, it's just a difficult time right now. But, yeah, we're very excited for high school football on Friday night and looking forward to seeing, you know, what of our area teams are going to keep their season alive. Lansing yeah. Catholic, of course, is a team that we're going to be keeping our eyes on because after right. they were able to knock off undefeated Durand um, to get to, and now they play over the LC, which it almost is like, you know, they have a really good shot of winning district championship. So, uh, for all the struggles that they went through in the regular season to see right. that they could have an opportunity to do this is the and the reigning champs. So they are the reigning champs in Division Six. It shows what can happen if you persevere. Certainly, Lansing Catholic is a great example of that. As is Holt. Uh, you know, you look at some teams that start off losing thirty-five to nothing. To Caledonia, and then they lose uh, 35-13, and uh, you know they're, they're behind. They've been outscored 70 to 13 in their first two games. What a story for Chad Folk and company! And last Friday, odd, uh, there were lots of places to go, and I decided I was going to drive to Brighton, <laughs> and I was going to see the Sean Foster show again to see if my eyes had deceived me. Yeah. And uh, he rushed for 188 yards, and I think he touched the ball one time in the fourth quarter. Yeah, he had another um, – I thought he had three touchdowns last Friday. 
He did. Three he touchdowns, did. Yeah. and okay. they beat Brighton, which is a, a favored team, a higher uh, point total team, 38-3. Right, yeah. So, I mean, I think that, you know, he's advertised. I mean, I mean, he's he's having a great season at the end of it all, too. And I just think this rematch, yeah, the rematch should be great for Friday night between these two. Grand Ledge lost to him earlier in the year, but not by a lot. It was 14-6, to so... I think Holt has made some improvements. And then obviously, you know, with uh, Sean Foster and how he's playing as of late, it could, it'll make for a really good game come Friday. When I think that a running back odd against teams like DeWitt, uh, perennial power, East Lansing, we know what kind of defense the Trojans can play, and Brighton. And Brighton fully thought they were going to win the game. And uh, this guy rushes for 827 yards and 13 touchdowns? And this is being told days before the season opener that, by the way, uh, I'm sorry, we need you to play quarterback. This is like when Dean Look in 1959, long before you were around, uh, was told by Duffy Doherty, I'm sorry, I know you're a a tremendous halfback, but you're going to have to learn to play quarterback and you have to do it like now. And he became (laughs) an an All-American in his only year at that position and then a two-sport pro. So. Uh, you know, there aren't many guys who can do that, and Sean has done it about as well as anyone could. Yeah, and that's why he's getting, you know, some more offers, even though he's committed to Grand right. Valley State right. University. I have not right. seen whether or not he's, you know, announced his he's if he's decommitted, but, you know, he's got an offer yeah. from Central yeah. Michigan, and if he yeah. keeps continuing yeah. to play well down the stretch here, uh, you know, there's some other maybe Division One offers that could come rolling in for him. I do know uh, that twice in camp, and I'm not talking about, you know, fat guys with stopwatches. I'm talking about electronic timing in a camp setup. He's been clocked twice in 4.3. And I don't know if Michigan State has any 4.3 40-yard guys, maybe one or two. But uh, that is that is exceptional. And, you know, he's going to get bigger. He's going to fill out. What about some of the other teams in the area that you think have interesting matchups in week two of the playoffs? I'm going to be honest with you, Jack. I have not looked a lot into that at this moment because I've been yeah. so busy with everything that's been going yeah. on with yeah. Michigan State football. So yeah. I yeah. don't know. I can't comment on that right now. I'm sorry. I, I don't. I haven't. I haven't looked at. I mean, Mason. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think. I mean. Um, I'm just projecting Mason on to the semifinals. Uh, yeah, I they, think I, I have that for them as well. I, I don't think that they're going to have a problem uh, doing that. Um, yeah, but in terms of for some other teams right now, I just I haven't really yeah. hunkered down too much. I've just been so wrapped up with the Michigan State and Michigan stuff. Let me ask you this. You've got a uh, coach's show for Saturday, and last week uh, it was all about the Michigan State-Michigan matchup and rivalry. The week before that, uh, you spent a lot of time on women's soccer, which, by the way, now is uh, en route to Columbus. And uh, this is an, an unbelievable run. This is like Illinois football this year. And mm-hmm. it looks like they're going to have multiple NCAA tournament games here uh, if they can take care of business in Columbus. Or, well, they rank fifth or sixth in the country now. But uh, – <laughs> I'm wondering what you're going to do with the coaches show and are you going to touch on what happened after the game last Saturday? Yeah. So we, um, 
we were supposed to sit down with a Michigan State football player this week, but due to the investigations, that's yeah. not happening. So we have two features uh, with soccer. Jeff Hostler uh, really kind of lets us in on his childhood growing up oh. in East Lansing yeah. and some kind of historic fun things that he uh, did around campus growing up. Um, and then we also feature Lauren DeBeau, who was Big Ten Forward of the Year. Um, Haley was able to sit down with her. And we will have Mel Tucker, an interview with Mel Tucker, that's going to be um, chunked up into two separate segments. So the first segment is about um, what had happened, what has happened or what happened in the Michigan-Michigan State game and right. everything that's transpired from it. And then in the second portion, it's sort of Illinois moving forward the rest of the season. Hey, Rob, two things I know, I guarantee, about uh, Odd's interview with Mel Tucker. One is that she will find a way to ask a question that will get him to disclose a little more than he might want or normally would. She just has a knack of doing that. And two is she will not reach over and touch the top of his head. Absolutely not. That's not happening. That did not happen. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was, the whole, I mean, you know, at this point, Jack, too, it's like, sometimes I don't even know how to, uh, sometimes what to say, because people are yeah. so quick to, um, you know. Everyone's we just dug in. in. Kind of I mean, they, they're we live in that, kind, we live in that kind of climate, right, world yes, right now. That's so right. That's right. Um, but, no, it should be – I think that people will, um, you know, be informed and hopefully they get a better look into, um, you know, where he's coming from, the perspective of it. Yeah. As, as much as, you know, people, you know, are very uh, – feel one way about it in him, um, mm-hmm. you know, he did take it upon himself to suspend all of these players. Uh, it's not like the Big Ten told him to suspend these players. Him and Alan Haller, you know, after – Watching and with Heller's background is you know being a um, you know for, police officer lot, yeah. right um, it's you know they've they've looked at it it's not it's not like the campus police or the state police had told them that they had to suspend these players I mean they've they they they've literally taken it upon themselves to be proactive in in getting ahead of the conference and um, and the police. Uh, last thing for you, did you get over to Breslin Center last night? I did not because, okay. yet again, of all of the yeah, news of yeah, the suspensions yeah. of the players, yeah. I was at the top of the newscast last night at 11 and right. then, um, you know, back in sports. And so uh, Haley was there, though, and I do know yeah. that Izzo was pretty fired up. I listened to his post-game press conference. Yeah. a little bit last night following what had transpired. It was a bummer because, you know, you can't even watch it because the game wasn't on a network. It was just, you know, right. on Big Ten Plus. Plus, So yeah. uh, it was – you couldn't watch it, but, um, you know, I know I know that he wasn't happy with the first-half performance. Right, right. It was a weird game, a weird first half. You figured that uh, they would come out first game, be ready. They were not. And then the second half, they rolled. They con- completely controlled. Uh, which didn't put him in a very good mood. And then you think about the center position, which was the area of fixation, most people's nightmare situation. Uh, you know, what was Matty Sissoko going to do? Could he ever make a basket? And Jackson Kohler, you know, could he guard me? 
And it, it turned out that it was almost the opposite. And Suzuko didn't miss a shot. And, uh, you know, he scored double figures. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Jackson played really good defense and forced a couple turnovers. And he was so enthusiastic. I think he has a chance to be an incredible crowd favorite, Odd, because he emotes the way Mike Poplowski did when he was here. And, you know, uh, he could get everybody excited. Costello was like that a couple years ago when mm-hmm. you know, he would just yeah. get everybody worked up. And I think Jackson's going to be just like that. Well, that's good if he's young and he's able to get the crowd fired up in that way. I'm looking forward to seeing him and, you know, the team actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This time next week, I'll be in San Diego. So yes, for the, for, I'll see you there. The air, yeah, for the aircraft carrier game. Uh, and definitely, yes, they're probably going to want to play a little bit better than they did last night before they have to face the Zags. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, that'll be a definitely, a, yeah, this time next week in San Diego. And it'll be, yeah, looking forward to kind of just seeing uh, maybe who knows if Jaden Akins will be back at that point. Uh, I know that, you know, he's still dealing with his recovery from surgery that he had. And um, Izzo made it very clear, too, that he was greatly missed last night. Yes, yes. And Tom said at the end of the press conference, he's getting ready to walk off the podium, and he was asked for an update on Jaden. And he said, you know, it just depends on how he responds here in the next few days, uh, whether he plays next Monday. And if he can get his feet wet a little bit there, then maybe he'll see some action. But he's not going to take any chances. He's not going to risk uh, Jay Nakin's season so that he can play against Gonzaga or Kentucky. But I, I found it very interesting. Uh, I think back to Tum Tum Nairn. And one year we asked him about this brutal schedule and uh, all the teams had to play Duke and they had to play, you know, they had like four of them in that month. And uh, everyone says, you know, uh, 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 you, you've got to play this team, and then you've got to play this team. And he said, no, no, it's not we've got to, it's that we get to. Exactly. To play these teams. And I'm talking to, to Jackson last night in the locker room, and he's not worried about uh, having to play Drew Timmy and Player of the Year Oscar Shibway. He's like counting down the minutes. He is seriously in a countdown mode to get <laughs> to play these guys. You know, sometimes it's be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. But he is not lacking of confidence, and he knows exactly what he's walking into. Well, and that's the thing that Tom Izzo always tells everybody is that, you know, one of the big reasons why a player should want to come play at Michigan State is because of the opportunities of who they get to play and where they get to play those, you know, his infamous memory-making moment, uh, you know, speech he likes to to give. (laughs) So those are definitely memory-making moments, and when you get to play teams, those types of teams, and then in the locations that they get to play as well. Odd, uh, last thing I promise. Uh, did you know Sally Perlis? Uh, did you know her at all uh, well uh, in any way? I did not, Jack. Uh, I had, I've had i never even met her before. So I know uh, of George was, and uh, Sally, yes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're going to have her son, Pat, former Spartan player and uh, coach, is going to be with us next, and he's going to talk about his mom and uh, her legacy and her contribution to Spartan sports and being George's uh, right-hand woman and, and better half. And uh, I think a lot of people are going to find this uh, interesting 
uh, segment coming up talking about the late Sally Perlis. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, won't see you over the weekend in Champaign, but uh, maybe next Monday night, and then uh, I'll see you in, in San Diego, certainly. Absolutely. That is for sure. Yes. Thank you, Jack. <laughs> All right. We'll be right back with Pat Perlis. Up next on The Drive with Jack. Culver's could have only started in Wisconsin. Hi, just ask our team member, Sarah. When you order a Culver's Butterburger, you're never just a customer. You're a guest in our home. It's why we cook each Butterburger to order just for you, right down to getting the perfect sear on the beef. That extra care may be a small-town thing, but it's big-time important to us. Let us serve you with a smile that stretches from our hometown to yours. Welcome to Delicious. When you want Spartan gear, Alumni Hall is your ultimate shopping destination. They always deliver the best and newest selection of apparel for the whole family. Nike, Cutter and Buck, Columbia, Champion, plus accessories, Yeti, hats, and all things Spartan. Spartan students, faculty, and military enjoy 10% off in-store every day. Check them out in Lansing or at alumnihall.com to make sure you are game ready. It's Alumni Hall where Spartan fans shop. If your next event or holiday party has you feeling stressed and overwhelmed, don't be. Voted Lansing's best new restaurant by Top of the Town, One North Kitchen and Bar has catering for every occasion from an award-winning chef. Book your next event by calling 517-901-5001. One North is the perfect place to get with family and friends for all the big games. Also voted Lansing's best sports bar, they have over 40 TVs, feature scratch cooking, amazing craft cocktails, and the largest draft beer selection in West Lansing. That's One North Kitchen and Bar, where friends and family gather to make good times great. Time for a career change? Looking to make a difference? Dean Transportation is looking for compassionate people to join our dedicated team of school bus professionals. Dean Transportation has immediate openings and offers paid training to obtain a commercial driver's license. With increased starting pay, benefit packages, flexible scheduling with weekday hours, and more, Dean Transportation may be the career choice for you. No experience needed. Apply now and train all summer. Head to DeanJobs.com. So, it's been a while since you've had your jewelry cleaned and inspected, right? Where will you go and who will you trust with your most valuable and treasured heirlooms? At Meadowar Jewelers' four locations in Lansing, Okemos, Jackson, and Portage, jewelry isn't just our job, it's our passion. Each and every piece entrusted in our care is thoroughly inspected by our trained staff against damage or normal wear. And we offer you, our customer, the highest level of quality on repairs and custom designs. Whether it's worn-out prongs, channels, or shanks, it's all handled with incredible care. Medawar Jewelers in Lansing, Okemos, Jackson, and Portage want to help you preserve your memories and offer you options on creating new ones. Come in today for the cleaning and inspection of your jewelry. We continue to work hard every day to earn your confidence and trust. Jack Ebling here with my good friend Matt Sloan at Graf Chevrolet and Graf Nissan. A lot more traffic out here, and it looks like you got some new inventory coming. 
Finally, Jack, it's getting there. We're not back to the good old days, but we're certainly getting better. We've got more Chevys, more Nissans than we've had in probably a year. 2023s are starting to hit the ground, so it's a great time to come out and look for a new vehicle. And if you're looking to maintain your current one, don't forget we've got a great service parts and body shop as well. Stop out and see Matt and the gang here on West Grand River in Okemos. They're making friends. Culver's could have only started in Wisconsin. Our team member Nick will tell you why. Oh, yeah, that's an easy one. Wisconsin is the dairy state, so naturally, Culver's was inspired by everyone's favorite rich and creamy tradition, frozen custard. We make our fresh frozen custard in small batches in every Culver's. It's a match, or (laughs) batch, made in heaven. Come have a taste of Wisconsin. Welcome to Delicious. Alumni Hall is your ultimate shopping experience for Spartan fans with everything you need to show your Michigan State pride. They have the largest and best selection of apparel for the entire family. Nike, Cutter & Buck, Columbia, Champion, plus their two-for-38-dollar tees. And you can't miss their great gifts and accessories. Make sure your family is game ready. Check them out in Lansing's Eastwood Town Center or anytime at alumnihall.com. That's Alumni Hall, where Spartan fans shop. Welcome back. It is the Drive with Jack Spotlight Radio Network. All of our Wednesday shows brought to you by Graph of Okemos. 108 years in the automobile business. Rob, we want to go right back out to our guest line and welcome in former Michigan State football player, coach, coached a ton of places, a ton of leagues. That's not why we have him on the show today. Talking about Pat Perlis, son of George and Sally Perlis. Pat, how are you? Chad, I'm hanging. I I know how difficult uh, this must have been for you, uh, for John, Terry, Kathy, for for all of the uh, all of your siblings, siblings. But Sally passing away, and. Uh, there's a celebration of life coming up this Saturday, right? There sure is. We're going to have their closest friend, family. And I think we're having a little bit of trouble here, Rob, with this with this audio. Do you know what that is? Do we need to call? Uh, yeah, let me see if we can right get a back. better uh, cell connection. You got right back. Okay. Is that better? Let me give him a try and give him a call All back, right. see if he's in a better right cell back. area, yeah. Jack. Okay. That would be good. That would be great. Uh, Tonight, we have Game 4 of the World Series, a rain-delayed World Series, but uh, we're into November. (laughs) It doesn't look like it around here, but we are, and uh, that's going to be fun to watch the Phillies try to finish this off. I know some people who hate Philadelphia uh, and hate Philly fans and and, uh, not big on the Fanatic uh, and not big on – uh, Philly ball. So I know some other people, good friends, who are completely enamored and all in on this, and we'll have to see how they do against the Astros. Two more home games for the Phils, and if they finish this off, if they win the next two, then it's not going to matter that the Astros won 19 more games in the regular season. There won't be a game six or a game seven back in Houston. All right, Jack, so, sorry to cut you off, but we got Mr. Yeah. Perlis back on, so let's great. see if we can get some better reception here. Okay, great. Uh, Pat, I was just saying that uh, uh, how 
traumatic this whole time must have been for you. I can tell you that I saw your mom a couple weeks ago. It was the night before Michigan State's homecoming over at Coral Gables, and there was a reunion of the 65 and 66 teams and some other alums in that back room at Gables. And as I walked in, your mom was sitting there, and she called out my name, and I looked over and I said, oh, it's Sally. And she was there with the Van Dams and Ron Palmer, and she looked absolutely splendid. And then she, we were in the middle of this gathering, and I turn around, and she has walked all the way through uh, the restaurant to find us in the back. And we talked for just a couple of minutes there, and uh, she had a big smile on her face. Uh, was this a shock to you, or did you know that uh, maybe her time was drawing to an end? No, it was a real shock, Jack. I mean, she was very vibrant with some of the issues she did have. She never let those issues uh, dominate the day, you know, and um, she was very vibrant. She had things um, really under control, or at least we thought. Uh, She had a fall a while ago, and some things happened very quickly, uh, and uh, like you say, it was was not expected. you know, this quick. You know, the name Perlis is one that uh, everyone uh, registers with, uh, if they have any familiarity with Michigan State. And for those who didn't know your mom well, uh, she was behind your dad every step of the way. She wasn't really behind him because she was beside him. And uh, I don't think most people understand, unless you had been in the home, and watch them interact as I, as I had a chance to do a year ago. Uh, I, I took Lorenzo White over there because I wanted, uh, or a couple years ago, two years ago, I wanted yeah. George to, to see Lorenzo uh, one more time. And uh, to see Sally with him, I think it would surprise some people how much George relied on her. No, no question, Jack. I mean, uh, I can't. And I know this. I saw some of it firsthand. I've heard most of it, at least secondhand, when I talked to my mom almost weekly. And mm-hmm. uh, I, there was not a, any decision, as in a, a major decision, I would say, Jack, of consequence uh, that my dad, George, did not bounce off her. And not only bounce off her, uh, most of the time, adapting at least part, if not most, of what she believed. Because because in my mind, uh, in, in uh, uh, Coach's life, my dad's life, he finally met someone that would really have as much, if not more, instincts, awareness of people, of human nature. I mean, if you remember my dad, he talked sometimes yeah. in conceptual terms of human nature, you know, and... Yes. Uh, uh, things of those sorts, and those don't come natural from a kid from East Detroit who went to Western High School. Uh, those refinements, those fine tunings, were the same thing that your wife is trying to do with you, Jack. She still has a long ways to go, but uh, th- that or, you know, yeah. Y- yeah, that Karen continually does to me. Thank goodness she hasn't uh, quit by now, but. Uh, uh, those things, directly or indirectly, shone through 
almost every major decision that my father made, not only in football, Jack, but anything from what uh, interior decorating, where we're going to move, all those things that a coach's wife uh, does. Pat, I spent uh, an inordinate amount of time uh, with your dad from the day he was introduced at Michigan State, the old – pack a lunch and bring a flashlight speech, which is so famous, to his last walk from Kellogg Center over to the stadium, counting the steps with him. And I was there for uh, all the Green Bay Packers drama and the Jets and the board and the great wins and uh, the triumphs and the Rose Bowl and all of that. I think I got to know your dad exceptionally well. And it always struck me that sometimes when uh, there would be a real tough one and I'd be sitting in his office, as I was prone to do, and he'd just pick up the phone and call your mom. Yes. Yes. Now, you've really touched me, Jack. And guess who else she was answering phone calls from? You know, we all did it, all all us children. She had an amazing, amazing amount of gray matter. And it just didn't facilitate itself in academia, although she had three degrees. She had a a master's of fine arts. She had a communications and a political science degree. And she often joked, I know less about politics than I did before I got the four-year degree or two-year degree. But uh, that's another another station and another matter. But, um, yeah, uh, she... She was a, as she learned, Jack, she taught. And here's what she yeah. taught independence and self sustainment because uh, she was a farm girl from Manistee County in Onekama. Mm-hmm. And her father was a farmer and a machinist. But she was just as comfortable, Jack. And I'll give you one quick anecdote. Uh, it kind of explains what I'm trying to say. She had a great range. And what I mean by that is I was my last year at Michigan State, I was staying at their house over there at Mount Hope, right off Mount yeah, Hope. Yeah, and, yeah. And she was out, the farm girl that she was, spreading uh, compost. I call it cow, and you fill in the next <laughs> word. But she was out trying to get, she was upset that her um, her garlic or something wasn't grown correctly. So yeah. she's out there trouncing in cow manure. <laughs> and my father has to call her out and says, Sally, we're due at the governor's in an hour. She was, she was to go to a governor's dinner in an hour later and in the Capitol, you know. So <laughs> yeah. not many not many women uh, have that type of range, but she did. Well, the story that I always like to tell about your dad, and I think your mom had a lot to do with this too, was the goalpost story. And the idea that, uh, you know, he wanted the students to not tear down those goalposts again. Uh, it was embarrassing. You'd wind up, you both play at one end of the field. or you know, you, So they the transfer, they put in the, the wooden goalposts, and he didn't like that. So he made a deal with the students that if they didn't do that, then he would take the money it would cost to replace it, and he would donate it to a charity they picked. Turned out it was Special Olympics because of... Norm Parker, and his son, Jeffrey. So this leads to the Kelly Perlisecchia golf outing, which is still going to this day. I can't tell you how much money it has raised for Special Olympics, uh, uh, Area 8. 
But I can tell you that when it started, some people a lot smarter than I am said this will never work. Even Perlis will never be able to get the Republicans and the Democrats to drop their swords and join forces for this, and damned if he didn't do it. Yeah, you know, and I don't know if you brought this story up for this reason, Jack. I think you did. It's a great setup if you did. Uh, but that was an idea that my mom directly, uh, I don't know, I can't say she came up with it. I think she did. But that was a discussion they had because every my dad was smart enough that my mom had a bigger picture of of general uh, beliefs, and and I'm not a, I'm not describing it well. But when you're a football coach, okay, and you're 90 hours in a work week or whatever the hours may be, yeah. Yeah, sometimes you don't catch up on the local news, right, and things of that nature. You know, so she kept him grounded in those areas. Pat, before we go, um, I don't know where this is appropriate or not, but we're going we're gonna to go here and see. Uh, I know that to your dad, uh, he's been described a lot of ways, uh, loyal to a fault, uh, being one of them, uh, driven, persistent, hard-headed, uh, tough. That's the one he always loved. Some said mm-hmm. pugnacious. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, he told me one time, Pat, I asked him, I said, uh, you know, I've watched you do this job for a decade. What's the hardest part of it for you? He said, that's easy. It's getting guys to play as tough as they can within the lines, within the rules. And then when the game is over, to turn it off and to be gentlemen and people that you would want to marry your daughter. And I was thinking of him Saturday night, not during the game, I mean, you know, he had his wins over Michigan, certainly. But but after the game, I was thinking, what would George be thinking right now? What would George be thinking, and what would Sally be telling him? What do you think? I'll tell you what, Jack. Uh, great question. I mean, how much, t- how much time do you have? <laughs> um, well, we're going to go a little bit over here, Rob. I don't know if you know that, but... Uh, we're just getting wound up, so we're going to go an extra five minutes. So, so go ahead okay. and hit the floor. Well, I mean, I don't. I'm sure, and I know. I'm not sure. I know that my mother and father will feel, would feel the exact same thing all us Spartans right now are feeling. Um, you can use a lot of adjectives, whether it was grotesque, ugly. You know, beyond unfortunate, beyond disappointed, all those things. And I think if you're a person that has a soul, whether you're wearing a Spartan on your head or a Wolverine winged helmet, you would agree with that. We've heard a lot. We've heard a lot, you know, from Ward Manuel, their athletic director. And we've heard a lot from Coach Harbaugh, you know. I mean, we continue to hear from him. I mean, as the days continue, we read statements. I just saw something on a national, two national news programs in Kansas City here when I was in the gym on the, 
I got back last night, and I'm going back to Michigan to help, you know, back to the celebration. But I came back, Jack, to get my family, and I saw two, two stories on the major news networks, okay, showing these, you know, these videos that most of us have seen if you care to. And like I said, we've heard from, from Coach Harbaugh and, Coach, and Ward Manuel, you know, and Two weeks ago, we heard from another coach at Penn State, didn't we? And James Franklin talking about the, the tunnel. Yeah, seemed to seemed to me that Coach Franklin had a somewhat of a different perspective, a different outlook than Coach Harbaugh. Right. I mean, the last time I checked, Coach Franklin was—you can judge his coaching acumen one way or the other—but seemed to me a pretty outstanding good representative of our conference, right? And Coach Harbaugh disagreed with him, even calling him a whiny or a baby or whatever. Whatever it was, I interpreted as a coach being concerned, but hitting stone wall, per se, okay? Mm -hmm. You've also heard, which I wasn't surprised, but three of the last three of the past seven home contests in Ann Arbor have had incidents. You can ask the Ohio State people, and you can ask the last two weekends. And I can tell you this, Jack, from, from an anecdotal standpoint, in 1985, I was in that tunnel. Coach Harbaugh was in that tunnel because he didn't leave the game until the third quarter, if you remember. Right. Prior to that, Bobby, yeah. Bobby Morris yeah. ran right by me yeah. and hugged his sister right. in the end zone. Okay? So Coach Harbaugh was in the tunnel when I was, when there was a similar incident, an incident that could have escalated to, to the point uh, that we saw uh, the other day. Thankfully, yeah. thankfully, Jack, there was a guy named Steve Furness that had different ideas, our defensive uh, line coach. Yeah, yeah. And he well, separated. I, I don't the- understand, Pat, given the history of the rivalry and given the dynamics and the parameters of the situation and uh, the level of uh, heat associated with last Saturday with comments from alums and players and coaches. and uh, We're not going to try to determine how much was from each side, but I think uh, they weren't the same. That the security force there in the tunnel uh, was insufficient and impotent. I will say that. Again, no one is excusing anyone getting conked in the head with a helmet. No one is excusing helmet swinging by anyone, and people who have been suspended and are going to face serious career-changing ramifications for this, you're responsible for your actions. But I'm saying that uh, the next time Michigan has a big game over there, if they don't have a a ramped-up security, like you haven't believed, and policies there that are enforced, then they're going to be culpable, and they're going to be liable for something that happens in the tunnel. 
Well, that's my point. When Nebraska comes in two weeks from now, Jack, and there's a similar incident, is Nebraska 100% at fault like the, like the Spartans, like Michigan State football is right now? Pat, is it Pat, be I don't think anyone it? is ever 100% at fault. Certainly sometimes people are more at fault than others. Sometimes you have instigators. Sometimes you have people who take it way beyond control here, beyond what's reasonable and uh, rational. But uh, there's usually some degree where both sides have, have had some involvement in it. I suppose if you're driving a car and uh, someone who is a, a .25 blood alcohol level comes across mm-hmm. the center line and hits you, you're not responsible. I suppose if you're, if you're walking outside and you get struck by lightning, you're not responsible. But most of us, for things that happen that aren't favorable to us, we can whine and we can moan about how unlucky we mm-hmm. are, but we can look back on our actions and think, you know what, that wasn't really smart. Well, and I agree 100%, Jeff. I mean, you asked the question. I've taken a long path to get here. But my, knowing mom and dad, yeah, with all the rhetoric that seems to be a big bucket of paint being thrown in one direction, yeah, okay, Mom and dad would say, what are we going to do from here? What is our solution? How do we solve this for not another another embarrassing incident? And if you indulge me, Jack, I want to throw a charge out there. I want to throw something out there. Yeah. Okay? I would want to help this situation not ever happen again. Because this is a sting. This hurts the Big Ten brand. It hurts the nation. I would want, in my utopia, to have Ward Manuel and Harlan Burnett, our two athletic drivers, very two excellent. Alan Haller. Excuse me, Alan Haller. Harlan is uh, my AD. But, yeah, Alan Haller, which is also a very close friend. I would like to see those two get together, okay, with the other Big Ten uh, athletic directors and solve this Michigan problem. Because you have several teams, several years dating back to 1985, but the consistencies are this, Jack. One team, one tunnel. You don't hear this happening at a consistent, systemic basis throughout the other – the rest of the conference, or even in the nation, because I've been in a lot of tunnels. Yeah. So, Pat, thanks so much is, for joining us. Hey, I, I, I really appreciate your perspective and uh, your experience on it. And, uh, you know, you, you know that uh, oh, there are ramifications for what's happened, but we really can't change that. We can't go back. What we need no, to do is no. learn from mistakes and prevent it from happening again. And uh, talk about happening again. Uh, I can hear your dad now as your mom uh, gets with him again saying, hey, Sal, what took you so long? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. She would. And they would want they would want a collective effort. Let's all get together. Let's solve this problem in this tunnel. Yeah. Pat Perlis, uh, he has been a coach at many levels. And a uh, uh, player at Michigan State and, of course, uh, uh, one of George and Sally's kids. And uh, that might be 
something that he holds as dear as anything else. We want to thank all of our guests today. Stephen Brooks, 24-7 Sports, Spartan Tailgate Premium Site, covering Michigan State football and basketball, talking about the game last Saturday, the 29-7 Michigan win, talking about the aftermath in the tunnel, talking about the ramifications moving forward, what it means, and talking about Michigan State basketball. We want to thank Jeremy Werner uh, from the 24-7 Illini site, talking about maybe one of the biggest surprises in the nation this year, a team that's a 16.5-point favorite to beat Michigan State 3.30 Saturday afternoon in Champaign. Audrey Dahlgren, sports director, lead anchor, WLNS Channel 6. And Pat Perlis, don't forget the celebration of life, Saturday afternoon at Mitchell's Fish Market. We'll see you tomorrow, everyone. Have a great night.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.